This is the movie Hall of Fame 2023 in review. And there he is across the sofa from me. <laughs> yeah. It's a sniffly Adam Hall. I'm not sniffly. I'm yeah. fine. I'm projecting maybe on yeah. you a bit. Do you want to tell the listeners the act of domestic terrorism you committed on me and my family this it, past week? It was a very deliberate effort on my part. I'm glad the mission was a success. Uh, I, you know, I got, uh, what's that thing that's going around? Uh, it's, I believe it's called the coronavirus. Oh, well, yeah. whatever it is, I got the coronavirus. Not only that, but for the second time in three years, yeah. <laughs> you walked into a recording of the Watati Awards. That's right. Not just any old episode <laughs> wise is the thing. You came to an episode of the Watati Awards with the coronavirus festering in your being like a Petri dish mm-hmm. and spread it to your friends. Yeah. Twice in three years. That's right. And you did it yet again on the Watati Awards last week, and that is why this podcast is late. But here we are. Uh, you know, yeah. you tried to kill me, but God, God damn it. <laughs> I'm going to give you my top 10 list of 2023. If it kills you. Hell or high water. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Ain't stopping me if the crick don't rise. We are recording this podcast, by the way, if the audio sounds a little funky, or maybe it sounds better. I don't know. Maybe there's something about this new location that's just improved it and should always be done here from now on. We are recording in Adam's new basement mm-hmm. in a home that is dangerously close to mine in vicinity. Yes. Walking distance, some might say. Yeah. Your fiance, also infected with COVID-19, is in the corner. Uh-huh. She's oh, Hello, Abigail. <laughs> You've made it for one of the most special podcasts of the year. Our favorite podcast of the year, I would say. I would say it's my favorite, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Despite the fact that, you know, some movie years are better than others. Mm-hmm. Some people love them. Last year was an incredible movie year, one of my favorites in quite a while. Yep. Personally, sort of a so-so year for me. A lot of people love it. I don't, I'm not really quite there with them. I am in agreement with you. Mm. I am also in the... Pretty good camp. My experience was like, you know, there were a lot of good movies. I just wasn't impressed by very much. It was a lot of like, yeah, that just sort of met my expectations or it fell a little below, but it still wasn't bad. I was just kind of in a, yeah, okay. Right. There were a lot of like movies that was like, oh, maybe a a directorial debut or an indie that uh, I'm I'm sort of catching up with at the end of the year. Stuff that kind of surprised me, but like the big tentpole, like 2019 was such a, great movie oh, yeah. because like the oscar movies were so good like mm-hmm. the great movies were also the ones that people were seeing true you know whereas this year i felt like first of all a terrible year for blockbusters like <laughs> one of the worst years ever for blockbusters well when you look at what i consider to be the best blockbuster of the year yes uh like and we agree a, on it I it's think it's a shocker but that that is the movie but yeah. it's like like th- that's a good example of how bad it was when you think about it right. i'm very happy it is to me the blockbuster of the year but also it says a lot about the state of hollywood that that's the movie that gets that win <laughs> literally about the state of hollywood yes, yes. <laughs> yeah where yeah so i think like really bad year for that it feels like the year this is obviously not true but it feels like the year where superhero ip movies if not died took a significant blow that may be fatal eventually. Maybe, yeah. It's hard to say that they died. It's a yes. little too... This is the first year, I would say, where people really caught attention to that. So the first... You can't really make that judgment yet. Yes. We're not going to really know that for the coming years. I mean, you know, Deadpool's going to wreak all sorts of havoc at the box office. We know that, but... <laughs> 
it's gonna save cinema. Yeah, it's gonna save. It's gonna. I love that cinema is constantly being saved by the. It's alive and then it's dead, and then another movie comes along to save it. It's just this constant cycle. So yes, blockbuster is not a good year. I also felt like horror, really bad year. Yeah, I thought like one of the truly terrible horror years. I didn't see Talk to Me. You didn't. I did not. Pretty low on my list. Re- okay, yeah. Pretty low. Did a horror movie make your top ten? No. There you go. No. That's very telling. That's, that's, that's usually unusual. Have like two or three. In there. I know, I know. But yeah. the closest one gets is a very silly horror movie at that. It doesn't quite hit the top ten, but I was surprised by how high it was. But again, we what know was it? Thanksgiving comes pretty close. I liked it quite a bit. I, I loved it. But, you know, for a horror, it's not a scary horror movie. That's a fun, right. have a great time with the popcorn horror. The, the best post Wes Craven scream movie. The best non-scream scream. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah, weirdly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we had a scream movie this year, too, and this one is so much better. <laughs> yeah. I right, for- yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I, for- I forgot that we had oh a scream movie. Oh, my God. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> scream took Manhattan this yeah. year. Yeah, totally forgot about that. <laughs> So, you know, bad year for that genre, not a great year for comedies, although there haven't been a lot of great years for comedies in recent memory. Yeah. But really good year for biopics, really good year for, like, historical dramas and stuff. I would say a banner year for those. I would agree with that, surprisingly so, of, of all the years, yeah. I mean, that I don't know if there's ever, like, a year that I can pull out that's like, ooh, all these great biopics coming yeah, out. Right. It's not really a thing that it's I... It's like, can you remember when Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> and Green Book all came out the same? It's oh, like, boy. right, exactly, yeah. yeah. No, 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 thank you. <laughs> and the other important thing that I will say, and we'll get into it now, are, are, are top movies, are boys and gals, they came through. And I'm yeah. talking about, like, the head honchos, the big guns. Oh, yeah, yeah, The yeah. ones that we had been anticipating, they all came through. And that was the nice thing. It was not a year of, like, the big auteurs swinging and missing. Mm-hmm. And that's why, like, I look at my top ten, it's a lot of familiar names. And a lot of movies that I would have expected to be in there when the year began and I guess it's good that they came through. Yeah, more or less. They, I I agree. That I was surprised by some of them. One one name in particular makes it on my list, mm-hmm. uh, who I've had a, a troubled history with. So that's it is notable. Very yeah. very notable that even he came through for me. So that's nice. Yeah. Okay. Before we get going, I need to just establish the rules. Oh, the rules. Because it's- in years past, Adam, here's the thing. When we do our top 10 list at the end of the year, traditionally what you do is you pick the 10 best movies that came out in a year. Yeah. You, you know, that's what what I mean? the year that just happened, we that, that's, list That's generally what we've done. The 10, but generally speaking, and I think you know? Abby, that 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 that's a sensible strategy, wouldn't you say? What would you say, babe? If we were ranking the 10 best movies of 2023, generally you would want all the movies to have come out in 2023, right? I suppose. Yeah, I mean, that would make almost too much sense for <laughs> some members of this podcast. He's saying the movies in TIFF should not count. It's as simple as that. Uh, I'm saying that the movies that got a theatrical release out of TIFF, like the holdovers, they yeah, would sure. count. Yeah, yeah. I'm suggesting some of the movies that you have included there that have not come out yet should not count. <laughs> There's only one movie on my list that's in my top 10 that you're referring to that's uh-huh. questionable. Still, if you go online, type it in, it says it's a 2023 movie. We can make the exception since we went to a theater. Here's the point. During a screening. Here's the point. To a film festival. Here's the point. <laughs> you broke a major point of order, I would say, by, by going rogue and changing the rules. And so you got me <laughs> thinking, as I laid there on my near deathbed this week, oh, ailing lovely. from COVID. Yeah. 
that you infected me with, by the way. I haven't mentioned that, that you infected me with. I did. I did. I gave him COVID. <laughs> I thought to myself, I thought, okay, Adam is bending the rules. Is there room potentially for you to bend the rules? For me to bend the rules. You oh, you simply left the door ajar and I decided to walk through it. Okay. And so my list has a twist. I'd say a pretty major twist. All right. And when we get to it, we'll get to it. He's doing a bit. I hate bits. <laughs> Everybody hates bits. This is a big old fucking bit, dude. That's that's <laughs> a, that's funny. This is a fat ass, thick, juicy bit. All right. Let's get to your list first, though. Do you have 11? I do. I always have 11. Always. Okay. Always. Always have 11. Yeah. Number 11 is Oppenheimer. Movie that won some Golden Globes this week. Yes, it did. It did very well. I was very happy for the movie. It's cool to see all the people who won won, except for right. Ludwig. I don't care. It's like him winning again is another like. All right, it's won again. It's kind of getting kind of boring. For one of the great scores of all time. Great know, scores good. of all time. I fucking love that score, dude. It's a nice to it's nice to listen to. I don't I, think it's I don't think its application of the movie is nice at all. I roll down the street in my 06 Honda Accord. I've listened to the score in the car. It works very well. Like fucking Tony Soprano on the Jersey Pike. Just oh, fucking Get pounding. some gabagool. <laughs> Blasting that shit. <laughs> Windows down. <laughs> Setting off nukes. I am <laughs> death. <laughs> Everyone's ducking for cover. <laughs> it's this bright light. Oh, it's Nico. <laughs> Great to listen to in the car. I just don't like it in the movie. Yeah, no, it's it's number eleven. Okay, and I'm assuming it's gonna be like two or one for you. Eh, I'll say it's number two for you. Okay, we'll get to it. Yeah. I don't have a top ten list. Oh hell yeah! This year, movies were saved yet again by this Barbenheimer craze, this meme that we participated in. You and I and many other people, like my fifteen year old cousin, took all of her girlfriends out to go see Barbie and then <laughs> sit there and during Oppenheimer for three hours. Don't forget Taylor Swift also saved cinema. Tay Tay did too. Yeah. She did her best. She, 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 and she's in the NFL. And she saved football. Yes, she, she saved did, football. Right. And she got America interested in football. A <laughs> she, task no one thought, thought was possible. Was possible. Yeah. <laughs> right. So this Barbenheimer craze, and it's so funny. It's like, what was the thing that saved cinema this year? A double feature. Yeah, kind of. A thing that, like, used to be commonplace in cinema. Like, my dad tells me stories when he was a kid. He would go to a double bill of a movie, and this was, like, a thing you would do. You would go the A side, the B side, right? That's where the phrase B movie came from. It yeah. was the second movie. It was the cheap one after the main event or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's like we took this bold new step forward. Double features are now saving movies yeah. by taking this big step back to this, you know, old it's neat. thing. It's neat. So what I did, rather than compiling my top 10 list, oh. is I took my top 20 list and I paired them off. Ooh, cool. Into thematically relevant double features. Oh. And so now I have here the top 10 double features of 2023. Oh, that's fun. And they all have cute little punny names oh that's nice and i'm proud of it good for you now i tried pairing that's a top 10 (laughs) movie with an 11 through 20 movie so that my list still looked like a top 10 list it's basically that 
I cheated a couple places, so it's not exactly my top 10. At the end of the show, if anyone cares, I will read my actual top 10, though. Okay. Okay. Are you going to reveal how many movies you saw this year? Did you see a bunch? Because I... Oh, yeah, I saw sure. significantly less than I did last time. It's well known that I saw 101 movies last year, and I did not <laughs> want to repeat that. Sure. So I actually went out of my... Cruella way. DeVille's 101 oh, movies. Jesus Christ. Yeah. No, yeah. I went out of my way not to watch as many movies. I focused a little bit more on television if I could. I saw 58 movies. Okay. So, you know, not bad. I saw 81 movies. Ah, very good. 81. Very good. So here's my top 20. That ain't bad. My number 10 double feature is titled The Greatest Trick the Devil Ever Played <laughs> When Life is the Ultimate Unreliable Narrator. Oh, no. Two unreliable narrator movies. They are, of course, The Pigeon Tunnel and The Killer. Aha. Okay. Paired in here at number 10. The Pigeon Tunnel, of course, directed by Errol Morris. And it is about... David Cornwall, the former spy, and the literary world knows him as John le Carré. It's terribly difficult to recruit for a secret service. You're looking for somebody who's a bit bad, but at the same time loyal. There's a type, and I fit it perfectly. And it is a documentary about his life as a spy and how that life was translated into literary fiction and his smiley character, right? I read Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy years ago, too, and I loved it. And I'm, I'm very interested about this guy. And Errol Morris documents his life without getting Le Carre, although he is interviewed throughout this thing and is the narrator of this documentary, without him revealing anything about himself. He's very cagey. Cool. And that's what made me think about the killer. He's very David Fincher-esque in that way, this John LeCarre. Oh, oh you're, you're, wait, you're using Michael Fassbender as a fill-in for David Fincher? Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and be the first person on the internet to make that claim, yeah. But it's this thing where, you know, David Fincher talking about this movie is it autobiographical or whatever, and he's like, fuck you, it's a movie about a hitman. And that's a very Fincher-esque thing to say. Yeah, that's exactly what he would say. And, <laughs> although LeCarre is obviously more explicit about like yeah these were things that actually happened to me in the soviet yeah, union yeah. and this is where these inspirations came from you know when errol morris pushes them on so your love life what's up with that he's like yeah it worked out it worked out <laughs> i killed her <laughs> <laughs> and he gives this you know very dismissive and there's you know all these highly publicized things about his adultery and affairs and stuff and all of his ex-wives and no, he just doesn't talk about any of that stuff he is an incredible sparring partner for Errol Morris in this documentary in the sense that he has this incredibly fast wit. And although he just died a couple of years ago, but when this interview footage was filmed, he still had all of his wits with him. And he's he, he skirts around every answer. And at one point, about an hour into the movie, and it seems like it's pretty far deep into the interviewing process, Errol Morris eventually says, like, yeah, dude, I was laying in bed last night stressing out about getting some sort of profound revelation out of you because you just won't break. And he's like, what do you want me to cry? I'm like, I'm not going to cry <laughs> on screen. You know, all just like breaking down all of those documentary tropes of like, you're just not going to get me to cry. You're not going to get me to reveal some like deep truth about myself. I'm just going to be kind of cagey with you. And it is the same frustration I felt watching The Killer this year. Ah. A movie that I like, 
but about a guy that's really fucking cagey. Has to be. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. Where was the killer on your list, out of curiosity? Yes. I imagine you didn't see the Pigeon Shuttle. No, I didn't. Yeah. But it is, uh, it's number nine. I like the killer a lot. I liked it. I didn't love it though, and that was the surprising thing about it. You know, usually I love Fincher films. Most of his movies I love quite deeply. I enjoyed this movie a lot. I had a lot of fun with it. You know, it's examination on perfectionism mm-hmm. and how full of shit someone is to think that they have everything under their control. Mm-hmm. And I, I like how it explores that this idea that like a perfectionist's um, world is always going to feel worse than probably it is. Because mm-hmm. I like the notion, like, a lot of people were like, he sucks at being a killer, and I'm like, well, no, I don't... It's a, you're right, it's a misread. You look at, like, Anton Shakur. Yes. Anton Shakur makes a lot of, like, little mistakes, and he gets injured, and he doesn't always get the guy's chaos everywhere. Yeah. But the key here is that there's no voiceover with Anton Shakur. Sure. So you look at him, and it's like, he's this vicious killer. If I come across him, I'm fucking dead. Exactly. But if you put the voiceover in his head, thank you. Yeah. it's a lot different, and it looks a lot different. And right. maybe, you know, because that's the nature of perfectionism. Everything's a flaw, right? Right. And I just love how it just makes this guy look like, I don't want to say a, a moron, but yeah, like I said before, just look like this guy that thinks he has it all buttoned up, but he's really full of shit. Yeah, so Andrew Kevin Walker writes this thing, and it's mostly VO. It's like 90% VO. It's about VO. Yes. <laughs> and I, as you said, right, you have the VO of him saying, like, stick to the plan, anticipate, don't improvise, yeah. right? That's this mantra that he repeats over and over again. Yeah. And you contradict it with the action on screen. And there is a major dissonance happening between yes. what yeah, is definitely. happening on screen and the VO. And I think most critics, when you see that, and you just laid it out perfectly with the Shakur example, you see farce, mm-hmm. right? It's that dissonance, that tension is supposed to be comedic. He thinks he's so good at his job. Look at all the mistakes he's making. Yeah. I think this is not a movie about whether or not he's a good hitman. I think this is a movie about how crazy it is to be a fucking hitman. Yeah, and what exactly. a stupid job it is. Because <laughs> it's sure, like a yeah. crazy job. Like, yeah, no, exactly. like I'm hired to kill people. Yeah, like yeah, it's, exactly. it's a crazy thing to do. Mm-hmm. Bad things are going to happen. No one should do it. No one is qualified to no. do it. <laughs> it's about the job. And that dissonance, although it is comedic and the script is be, comedic, yeah, sure. right? Like there are obviously big laugh lines and there's all this like meditation on majority and stuff all of this modern technology and amazon and we work and all this stuff is in there oh, yeah. but that tension when you realize similar to pigeon tunnel for me that this dude is an unreliable narrator mm-hmm. that he's lying to himself and therefore lying to you because yep. you're in his head constantly yeah. that becomes tragic and this movie becomes about a guy that is suppressing all of his human emotions in pursuit of this really hard fucking job yeah and a job that's just impossible to plan for. A crazy job. Yeah, impossible to plan for. And all, yeah, and, and you know, revenge movies are interesting is that this one, to me, I came out of it with the end where he doesn't kill the guy. Normally, revenge movies, they, they you, you could have him kill the person and the movie might condemn the person or they'll have him walk away to be like, yeah, look, look how bad it is to kill someone. This one almost makes the case that, like, it's crazier that he doesn't kill the guy. Because it's all in the act of this, like, robotic code. There's something about it that makes me go, after every single thing he's been through, after all these people he's killed, it all just builds up to him just intimidating a dude. 
<laughs> there's something right. so like to the book to a robotic fault and it's like there's no humanity in that guy because he didn't kill him well it's <laughs> yes right yes yeah <laughs> which is such a weird contrast right what, sparing him is also more psychotic than not it's like what right <laughs> Arliss Howard, by the way, in an incredible like one scene. Great scene, yeah. I, <laughs> with I, that fucking t-shirt, I, I completely <laughs> agree with that. Yeah. No, the great thing about that scene, it's like that's not the guy you kill. No, you, you can't no. kill that guy. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to kill that. Guy. You're allowed to kill Tilda Swinton on the staircase. You're allowed to kill all the middlemen along. You're even allowed to kill the cab driver, the innocent cab driver that just witnessed. Unfortunately, something. yeah. You're allowed to do all that. The woman in the stairs, yeah. Right, yeah. Arliss Howard, you're not allowed to kill. Yeah. You know, you're only kind of allowed to intimidate him, but that is not the guy you kill. There's something so, like, too clinical about the character, the fact that he doesn't go through with it to kill right. him. Right. I love that detail. Yeah. But, but again, going back to this notion, too, about the voiceover is that you take away the voiceover, and he seems like an amazing uh, totally. hitman, like an incredible hitman when yes. you think about it. Take away that voiceover, and it's like, yeah, I, I wouldn't ever cross this guy. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's so true. And so, like, yeah, all of this stuff, is he good? Is he bad? I don't, that's not the point to me. It's not the point. The point is, like, perfectionism is not attainable, including in filmmaking, right? That's right, Fincher. And that's where people are. Which I think is, like, again, it's it's very auteurish in a way that, like, I don't really find that kind of reading appealing. I don't think Fincher cares about that at all. Yes. He's not that. A part of him always seeps into his movies. All of his movies are about this to a certain extent. He's the star of most of his movies. Yeah, he sees a bit of himself in Zuckerberg, I'm sure. Absolutely, yeah. You can draw those parallels in the in the movie will work. I don't think yes. I don't think it's an invalid reading, but I don't necessarily think that it's the crux of the movie. Yeah. You know? The key though, and what makes it so finchery, and I think he's talked about this explicitly, it's that when a person says something, in movies we're trained to always believe them mm-hmm. because we treat dialogue so much as getting from point A to point B. It's just a, of a way of explaining the plot and the theme often. His characters lie to you. Yeah. And they lie to themselves. And they lie to other people on screen without it being obvious. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're not called on it. And sometimes their actions contradict what they say. Yeah, yeah. And when you unlock that in the movie and you get past all of the silly stuff about Amazon or whatever, it becomes like a much bigger and more important movie in my estimation. And that's why it made my list. I don't think like it was going to make my list after first viewing. No, it It took me a little while. Weirdly, it wasn't going to do that for me either. Yeah, I had to sit with it a bit. Yep. And by the way, not the deepest thing in the world, and Fincher has certainly done more. I, I do think it's one of his weakest movies, but, you know, he's sets a pretty That's high... a compliment for him, right? Sets yeah. a pretty high bar for himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's still a good movie. Totally. Uh, side note, we have to talk about, just real real quick, just a yes, little sir. side. How about the handheld? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. The amount of handheld he was... I'm like, is Fincher okay? Yeah, right. Is he, is he, what is... What? Yeah. What's he doing? How big is the brain tumor in his brain? How many more months does he have left to live? He's experimenting with handheld all of a sudden. I, yeah. I saw the behind the scenes and he's masked up. I'm like, oh my God, did he get COVID? What is going, what's going on? Yeah, no, it's very like low stakes. Yes. Which is and it's like kind of loose. It feels like Soderbergh in a lot. Like I Sometimes saw so much of the liney yeah. watching yeah. it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah, got that kind point, of yeah. vibe, which I love. I mean, I love him like being in like more chill mode. There's a lot of man there at times, Michael Mann. Yeah, to- yeah, yeah, but it, it is weird to right to see a shaky cam all of a sudden. I'm like, like, no, yeah. no, no, no. I haven't seen that since Alien Three. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, there you go. So there's my, there's my number 10 double feature. So yeah, 
Cool. Fair. Perfectly You fair. like the bit? I like the bit. Good. I got nine more of them. Fuck yeah. Let's go. <laughs> what do you got? Number 10 for you, number sir. Number 10. Number 10 is the boy and the heron. Now again, a major top ten, so it's I pretty can't. Good. It's still good. Yes, it's still good. Yeah. Uh, but it's, so this question is going to sound odd. But why so low for you? This should be the number three, number one, maybe. Who knows? Mm-hmm. In another year, if it's Spirited Away year, then yeah, it's maybe my number one. Maybe. Yeah, I saw it and I thought about it for a while, and even still, I'm like, it's very good. Maybe it is great. I don't know. The animation is incredible. It's to me the best animated film of the year. Yes, I would say that. Um, but I don't know. It felt like a lot of visually and also thematically just a lot of things that I've seen out of him before. Yes. It, it's by far his his most like abstract movie, I yes. would say, yeah. which is fine. But even the abstractions, I'm like, yeah, no, I, I feel like I got this out of uh, Mononoke and Spirited Away and yeah. Howl's Moving Castle to a degree. I think I like it more than Howl's Moving Castle, but it's good. It's just... It's you know, definitely more it's, in the Totoro Spirited Away mode <laughs> than it is the Mononoke Wind Rises mode. Yeah, yeah, I would say so you know, too, It's yeah. definitely like that brand of like absurdism that kind of just sort of floats and it glides over you. It's not like really like a pulsating... No, it's, you it, know. and it's not asking you to question the logic too much. It's just sort of like let it be, let the movie happen. In a way that I don't <laughs> think he's ever quite done to this level. Before. No, and, and yeah. it, people have reacted. I wouldn't say mixed, but there are a few people that have just been like, you know, I needed you to pump the brakes a little bit. Yes. And maybe, you know, maybe there's a little bit of me that's bumping up against this because it certainly wasn't quite what I expected. It wasn't what a lot of people expected. Honestly, I do think there was a bit of me that was going expecting the Heron to be a little bit more of an important character. I was still had a good time with the Heron because, you know. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, what is the name in Japan? It's like, why do I live? Yeah, or exactly. Right? It, or, yeah, what is life? It's how do very, I, I think it's how do, how I, do I, live? I live, right? Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people have said that really should have been the title. Obviously, it's, it should, yeah. It's not about a head. No, it's nothing to do with is a heron. No. <laughs> Whatever. I don't it's know, like Danny f- DeVito in a bird suit, this thing. <laughs> no, but the, it is a heron. With a penis nose. It is a heron. It just for some reason could sort of transform into Danny DeVito. Right. <laughs> so... It was a weird character, that heron. <laughs> no, you're right, because you expect the guy to, like, ride on the wings of the heron and save his mother or whatever. And it's like, no, this dude's an asshole. He's not even the villain of the movie. He is kind of the villain, but he's really just an asshole getting in the way. Yeah, basically. Yeah. I mean, well, no, and I see the trailer, and I'm like, oh, I'll be your guide. I'm like, what is it going to be? Is that, like, Virgil and it's Dante's Inferno? Right, is right, that what right. we're doing? But no, it's just, <laughs> it's a weird existential journey about a kid just... Just looking for his mom and right uh after in the first scene of the movie she dies, dies. in a fiery blaze <laughs> which again i loved the first half of this movie tremendously and yeah. a lot of it like that opening i'm like wow right. this is beautiful this is hitting hard and then when he's getting bullied and he hits himself in the head like that yeah. weird self-harm it's like oh it's, this is like dark it's dark it's yeah. Bleak shit. yeah it's like the, uh, it's one of those things where it's like it's this type of thing that only Hayao Miyazaki can do it's beautiful this movie's gonna rule and again it, it's not to say it ever got bad it's a it's a very good movie guys but like it did maybe go like ooh wow okay this is just taking an interesting like tonal shift too like it, it tonally the first half and the second half are just very very different movies so yes 
Yes. Uh, well, I mean, they are, you know, it's Wizard of Oz. He steps through the gates I get, into I know. the fantasy world. So, yeah. I totally. know. I understand. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Nick saw this movie before us and was lukewarm on it. And I can't say I'm even lukewarm on it, but maybe by comparison to what I thought I was going to be, I'm lukewarm. I don't know. Right. When I saw it and I told him, spoiler alert, that I absolutely fucking loved it, um, he was like, all right, then what's it about? And I go, I don't know. That's why it's <laughs> fucking great. <Yeah. laughs> like, no, I do think that helps. Too. You know, it is like that is actually why I go to Miyazaki movies. I go for the subway ride and mm -hmm. Spirited Away. Oh, yeah. You know, that's what I go for. I go for like those quiet moments that you just sort of sit and contemplate. Mm -hmm. It's not like plot, 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 plot. Oh, yeah. You know, it's this very like Asian Japanese, this idea of like movies are more poetry than they are like a mm -hmm. act one, act two, act three Plot exercise, conflict exercise. Oh, yeah, and it's right. still the, very much the case here. It's important to say I really like the movie. Even yes. if I'm grading it, it might not be my favorite Miyazaki, but it's still like 8 out of 10. But, uh, yeah, I agree. saying it's it's a poem is quite apt. That's what a lot of his movies are. Right. But, yeah, no, I, it's a really good movie. I mean, if it's his last movie, oof, okay. Right. Even then, there's a bit of like a, whoa, that is an interesting swan song. Yes. I'll say that, yeah. And very swan song-y, by the way. <laughs> like, Were there any swans? Oh, I, I don't know if there were any swans. Lots of pelicans. Lots of, like, sperm things. That were yeah, there were a like, lot of spermy things. <laughs> getting there. lit on fire by Florence Pugh's character or whatever. And then they got eaten and stuff. And <laughs> I, uh, yeah, okay. Squid eating the sperm. Squid eating the cum. <laughs> Love those little guys, man. <laughs> My number nine double feature is called This Can't Be Happening. Nightmares, real and imagined. But was afraid? Oh, wow. Paired with Anatomy of a Fall. I was afraid, obviously. Ari Aster's three-hour picaresque nightmare horror comedy about a man struggling with anxiety. Yeah. A movie I think that you struggled with a little bit when we watched it. I remember you not liking that dance sequence in the middle. It, and... it, it's the moment where the pacing completely falls flat for me. It's a yes. very interesting movie and really one-of-a-kind thing that we'll never see again. So right. I love it for that. Yes. But it does have a serious pacing issue. Yes. It, that I'm not sure was even intentional. It's. Right. I think Ari Aster was really banking on the audience to just be entranced and wowed by the time it, it really makes that hard cut that we're talking about. Right. I figured out that I'm not completely alone on this either. Yes. With this particular part. It's it's very much like you're either in it at this point or you're going to struggle. And I right. I don't know if I could say I was struggling, but I have to admit like my interest was starting to dwindle at this point because I was kind of like... I don't know how much I really care about this particular idea. <laughs> yes. I mean, it is a very one-note idea and a one-note performance yeah. to by Joaquin Phoenix. It I is liked... a man that is incapable of existing with other people. Yes. <laughs> I, I liked Joaquin in this, but... Uh... Yeah, no, he's good. He's good. I'm not sure, like... He, I, we've talked about this several times now, but he's just not my flavor. Mm -hmm. 
Paul Schrader just put a Facebook post about he him. He's just not my. He didn't hate him. It's just he like hate, not my guy. He, he hates him. He hates. Yeah, him. he hates him. He's just not my guy. <laughs> Although I feel like Joaquin Phoenix in a noir Paul Schrader movie would be pretty sick. Like he could be the master gardener. Why not? I guess he could. He yeah, he could work in a way. Yeah, yeah. I could buy that. Yeah. So you know all this stuff. The urban war zone at the beginning of this movie. The drinking of the paints. Mm. The penis monster all terrifying the penis monster terrifying that i akin to the brain bug in starship troopers because <laughs> it stabs the guy exactly in the head with the same sort of fucking mandibles i'm like that's gotta be you're ripping off starship troopers with your dick monster <laughs> all terrifying <laughs> nothing though as terrifying apparently as the french courtroom <laughs> I don't think I was like over the moon for Anatomy of the Fall in the way that like the everybody was the can voters especially I don't know about Palm Dwarf for this fucking thing but no but the French courtroom is crazy it's a madhouse it's, it's a, a madhouse it's a circus <laughs> I got a little exposure to this I watched that movie Saint Omer last year that was also nuts just in the way that like prosecutors can just completely smear you on baseless claims and just like speculate about your motives and things. That's what we do on this podcast all the time though. It's basically right, like, a, a French courthouse on this podcast. I, you're the only one I can lock up though. I mean, I don't have like power over anybody else. It's like crazy. Like they're just like going through her book and just basically, like, yeah. so what did we think about page three, paragraph two here? What do you think? She, like what? This is all fucking conjecture. This is crazy. crazy. This would all be thrown out immediately in yep. the United States. Hey, it's a different place. I guess where they just accuse people of things baselessly and just run with it. And it, again, it was similar sort of feeling of anxiety mm -hmm. of like, I cannot control anything around me. The world is falling apart. And I, and, you know, it's that Job thing of just, like, yeah. I'm suffering for no reason here. Yep, yep. Sandra Huller is the star of this anatomy of a fall. She's great. She's excellent. She's fantastic. And she, like, wears all of that, like, rage, that slow boil on her face, but never yep. really snaps because she's concerned about her son. She's got a good face for that, too. Yes. She's not, a, not a lot of actresses have that so authentically. Everybody's... Very, very, very good in the movie, by the way. I just want to stress, like, it's yes. excellent. Like, some of the best performances of the year are in this movie. The lawyer is fantastic. Yeah. Her lawyer and the prosecutor, actually, is yes. also fantastic. Great yeah. child performance, too. I would Great like. child performance. Mm -hmm. Great fucking dog performance. Yeah. How oh, about that? Snoopy. Snoop. Oh. When, uh, it's, uh, when, when Snoop throws up, dude. Oh, my God. When Snoop throws up. I was having a tough time. I was having a tough time just because I love incredible, like you said, incredible dog performance, and I don't like seeing that happen to dogs. Yeah. Then after the fact, it's like, yeah, no kid would ever fucking do that. Ever, ever, <laughs> ever, ever, ever. Right. No kid would ever do that. Yeah. But wh whatever, I'll go along with your premise. Yeah. <laughs> I found the case to be compelling enough. I think a lot is being made afterwards. Obviously, with a movie like this, it's an easy promotional sort of gimmick to be like did she actually do it or not i was never convinced of the fact that she did it i don't think at any point in the movie i mean there were moments where i'm like oh there are secrets that she's hiding and she's maybe not as great a yeah. person as we initially thought no yeah exactly and not that innocent of a victim maybe and and i think the theory that she maybe pushed her husband to kill himself <laughs> spoiler alert i'm sorry for the movie yeah 
is maybe plausible, but... Yeah, and I think that's probably what it is. My, my theory was maybe they got into a fight and then she maybe pushed him and it was an accidental thing. Like, that that was the most that I ever got with her. I never thought that she murdered him, though. Right. I guess my problem with, like, I think a lot of people are talking about it. It's like, we're better than primal fear because we don't tell you. And I'm like... Yeah. Uh... Like, I don't know. <laughs> right. Like I, primal fear is very different though. Yeah, Their I know, I know. Very, I, yeah, but yeah. there but I do think a lot of people are hanging on that we don't know what if she did it in the way it ends. There's that ambiguity. And I'm right. just like I, I, I Unless I, I, her not, character is an Ed Norton level sociopath. Though, yes. <laughs> and can change on a dime in the way that he does in the last five minutes of that movie. She is called a monster. <laughs> I guess <laughs> there's nothing in her performance. No, it, it, not just in the you know in the text of the movie. I'm talking about her performance. There's nothing in the way that she plays it. No, that not indicates at all. that she's guilty at any point. No, Justine Triette is the director of this thing, French director. I, I'm pretty sure she directed Sandra Huller to play it as though she was innocent. Probably. You know what I mean? I, it doesn't seem like she performed it in a cagey way at all. And that was always the thing for me. It's like this woman. Knowing what we know about her relationship to her kid and how she felt about her husband and how she was acting in the moments after the crime, there's just no way. There's no fucking way she did this. Again, it's not really about that. It's about her son yep. and his revelation is about her suffering. I totally get it. I think that part of the movie is being overplayed. And if you can sort of put that aside, I think there's a lot to really like about the movie. But I don't think it's like a great mystery and Agatha Christie no, I don't mystery think so. or anything I don't think it is nor do I think it's completely trying to be yeah you know and a lot of the reaction to the movie is sort of maybe coloring my opinion a little bit maybe both of ours to a degree but yeah no I really do think it's a really well acted and really well written court thriller yep I just don't think it rises that far above that you know it's yes. just that these performances and this writing stands out than most courtroom dramas for sure right and I do love that so much of it is ultimately just about this kid trying to save his mom mm -hmm. which is beautiful mm -hmm. but like I didn't feel like I hadn't seen it before. Yes. Yes. I feel the same way. I don't know if I've ever seen it to this level of detail. Sure. And the movie takes its time. And sometimes it feels like, all right, can we move it along here? But also that's part of the point because it's, it's supposed- procedural. It's also supposed to feel long and grueling because this woman's like, when can I be done with this and move on with my life? And the courtroom thing, like Kramer versus Kramer is a grueling courtroom thing for me. Right. Or their marriage story as well. Right. This, this was a little more upbeat for me, weirdly. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't quite check that box. And I don't know, maybe that's another slight against the movie. It was like, okay. Yeah. All right, let's, let's go. Kane Mutiny Court Martial. Did you watch that? The, oh, the, the I, Freakin' one? I did not. Yeah. That movie is totally fine on a filmmaking level. I mean, Freakin' was, you know, in his last days or whatever. He was directing he, it from a wheelchair, too. Yes. So. I don't fault him. I, listen, I enjoyed the movie enough. But, like, that script has been done several times on TV and on, on the stage. And it's popping. The dialogue is popping. And I was entertained by these characters in peril. This one was a different thing yeah this thing was like uh oh my god can this be over can we just let this woman go do we really have to bring up her open marriage in front of all of these people mm -hmm. so it's, it was a different sensation and the movie plays around with that i mean there's that one moment where the judge gets like a message from one of her clerks yeah and walks away for like 30 seconds and the camera sort of jilts a bit and stays there in the courtroom as the crowd starts doing small talk and mm -hmm. chuckling it does sort of give you that feeling of like man court Takes a while, <laughs> a yeah. lot of downtime, <laughs> you know. So the, it definitely did put me in that point of view. Not to say that the movie isn't entertaining; it's very entertaining. But yeah, listen, it still makes my top twenty. I don't know if it would have made my top ten, but a very good movie, and I would pair it with Bo is Afraid. 
Anatomy of a Fall is number 15 for me. There you go. Yeah, pretty good. There you go. Uh, what's your number eight? Wonka. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look and you'll see into your imagination. We'll begin with a spin Traveling in the world of my creation What we'll see will defy explanation if you want a view, I wish I got a chance to see it. I would have oh. seen it had I not gotten COVID, but I, I did not see it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's a movie... <laughs> In a year about troubled inventors, really. That's a true, lot of yeah. troubled inventors on screen. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people that just struggling out there. <laughs> the atomic bomb, the Ferrari, the it's the a great, gobstopper, whatever it is it's a called. Gr- as we said, it's a great year for biopics. You're talking about Oppenheimer, right. Ferrari, Wonka, all right. these really great How did they come <laughs> true to be? stories? Exactly. How did Willie become Wonka? Right. I just love that. <laughs> How's our Paul King do? It's it's awesome. It's 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 uh-huh. still Paul King is just like the king of this perfect family whimsy that's not annoying and is delightful and infectious. It's a musical, by the way. Mm-hmm. It is a full fledged musical with some fun little uh, musical numbers. First one's a musical. Yeah. I, well. Yeah. I know. I guess yeah. they're all technically musicals. There's yeah. There's sure. some musical numbers in the Tim Burton one. Many. I had yeah. that soundtrack back in the day. Oh, no. I did. Oh, sure no. did. On CD. Yeah. Blasted that shit in my Walkman. Yikes. I can't say <laughs> it's- Augustus Gloop. Augustus, Augustus Gloop. The great big gritty nincompoop. Don't act like you didn't have it. I read the book. Don't act like you didn't have this. Abby's <laughs> chuckling at me. She thinks less of me as a man. Meanwhile, she's marrying you. You had the soundtrack, too. Uh, No, I didn't have the fucking soundtrack. <laughs> I did see that movie a few times, though. Totally. I, I had lo- a DVD. I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. I loved that movie. Johnny Depp is just an abject horror in that movie. Yeah, he's a terrible. He's a monster. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's an absolute monster. <laughs> Burn him with fire. Really, yeah. Seriously, get a fucking flamethrower. Light his ass up. You was on Epstein's Island. Oh, no. <laughs> Willy Wonka. <laughs> he was in the document lead. Send him to the Wonka room. No. <laughs> <laughs> he was with Stephen Hawking. <laughs> oh my God, where the hell was I? Uh, uh, oh yeah, Timothy Chalamet is playing Willy Wonka. Sure now. is, yeah, he sure is. Uh, and yeah, Nico, I hate to break it to you, the kid's a movie star. It's just as simple as that. He's he, so I've been told. He's, yes, he's just like he, he he's in a movie. He's, he's gonna make the movie, and he's very good. I, I'm not sure it's like the best thing he's ever done. I'm not even sure I would call him like great in the movie per se, but he is. I mean, he was in Interstellar, if you remember. Yes, that's true. So yes, yes, his best his best role. Right. We, we have I to mean, remember that's de facto. Yeah, that's right. One, yeah. Uh, you know, he fills that kind of Paddington role where he's just kind of like carrying the spirit and the joy and the life of the movie on his shoulders. 
Yeah, I was like, yeah, this movie is just working and it's got a beautiful little rhythm. I love the Paul King of it all. I love the look. I love the production design as always is immaculate. It's very well made. Just everything. It's one of those movies that I'm just smiling the whole way through. Everyone is really, really working on me, particularly the girl that he's playing next. I forgot her name, but she's quite good in the film as well, so I have to give her high praise. All the supporting characters, it's another one of those movies that's just filled with lively weirdos, a lot like the Paddington movies, mm-hmm. where it's like they're not defined by these like wonderful arcs, but like you, you know that no matter what character you go to, you're going to have a good time, particularly like Olivia Coleman who is so much fun in the movie. Yeah, in Paddington, it's that Simpsons thing of like, these are our neighbors, right? It's like, there's the baker and the guy that runs the bodega. And it's this like tiny town sensation yes, you get exactly. in Paddington. And I wonder if it's a similar thing. Here. The yeah. exa- exact same thing here. It's like, yeah. it's supposed to be, I believe it's, I think it's supposed to be London. You know, and obviously doesn't really feel like London, of course. It's this very heightened, dreamy version of London where you can go beneath the sewers and pop back up and evade the cops, you know, and all all that good stuff. But, you know, Gary Oldman famously said when he he turned down Edward Scissorhands, he turned it down because he looked at the script and he didn't understand it. Uh Then he goes to the movie and he sees them panning around all the 50s houses and then up to the castle. He's like, "Ah, I get it now. Right. Similar kind of sensation where it's like you just see the city and the way it moves and the way the people operate and you're like, yeah, I, I get it. Right. I get the storybooking nature of it all. Right. And it's one of those movies that just made me very, very, very happy and didn't disappoint. And I think there was a lot of like build up to it prior that everyone's like, are we really getting a fucking Willy Wonka prequel movie? But it is not trying to be the Gene Wilder Willy Wonka at all. It is very much his own thing. Even when it, they do uh, sing the uh, Pure Imagination song, that's there. They sing it. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. But it works. Okay. In the context of the movie. That makes me a bit nervous, <laughs> if I'm being honest with you. And, of course, it's Timmy who is singing it. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. No, sure. But when they get to it, it is an earned moment. And I figured out the name of the girl. Uh, Kala Lane is the, is the girl's name. Uh-huh. It all revolves around the conclusion to, I guess, the, her journey. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's really beautiful and touching. And, yeah, the movie, it's just kind of a winner. I don't know. That Paul King just knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah. I think opinion might vary for you on, like, the Hugh Grant of it all is the Oompa Loompa. <laughs> the Oompa Loompa. I, I wouldn't say the CGI is convincing, but it's, <laughs> I don't know, though. I, there's just something too delightful about <laughs> Hugh Grant as an Oompa Loompa. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> yeah. It just, listen, if he wasn't so checked out in the press tour, <laughs> I wouldn't be as nervous. Yeah. But he seems like he doesn't even know what movie he was in. <laughs> like, that's so, what it feels he's like. He's done with it. He's tired. Like, of- they just put him in the green screen room, and they're just like, just pretend you're orange, and we'll figure out what movie it is later. He's tired of being hounded by Drew Barrymore on her show about right. all the stuff that he's interested in. Paul King has this superpower, though. I do think it comes through Where it's here, like, I'm yeah. not even sure what he's doing. It's this effortlessness. I'm yeah. like... I can't even tell you exactly what I love about the Paddington movie so much. I know how they make me feel, though. That's what it comes down to there, right? Yeah. And he just does something. Everything is clicking. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it a good shot. You would definitely, I'm just calling from a billion miles away, you you would have to warm up to Timothy, I think. that's okay. what that. Honestly, I think that would be your biggest hurdle. Yeah, him with fucking, who is it, Kylie or Kendall he's with? Oh, no. Kylie. You saw Kylie at the Globes. They're, like, sitting there, and they're, like... I, I, I saw that. Oh, you're pretty. No, you're, you're pretty. Oh, you're so hot. No, oh, I like thank your you. hair. I love no. you. I don't know. I'm not really into the Timothy thing. I, on the other hand, though, it is kind of cool to be, like, I'm going to an award show, and I'm just going to sit in the corner with my girlfriend and not talk to anybody. 
That's pretty sick. That's the kind of like baller behavior, you I know. Yeah. At the same time, it's like Kylie Jenner, and it's like it's you know he's Travis he, Scott is fucking chopped liver now. I mean, what the hell? <laughs> no, I'll give it a shot. I'll give Wonka a shot. Yeah, I'll put it this way: it would never in a billion years be as high on your list as it is on mine. So okay. I wouldn't. Even if you came like Adam, it's just fine. I'd be like, okay, right, all right, right, okay, okay. Well, there you go. Okay. Number eight for me. Yes. We used to make shit in this country. The year's best blockbusters. Ah, here we go. I mean, the name is already a misnomer because one of these movies was not made in this country. It was made in another country. It's Godzilla Minus One, and I'm pairing it with John Wick Chapter Four. Oh. You are now in the presence of the motherfucking king. Yeah. Uh, two of the best times you can possibly have at a movie theater this year. Okay. I will save my thoughts on Godzilla Minus One because yeah. I imagine it's coming quite a bit later. Yep. Okay. It's uh, pretty high on my list. All I'll say, really good blockbuster. Yeah. Yeah. You could say that again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> really good blockbuster. Uh, John Wick Chapter Four. It, you know, has three movies in one, basically. Did you see it? I did. Okay. Three movies in one. It's like a samurai movie, and it's a European crime movie, and then it becomes a Western at the end, and there's a little bit of Lawrence Arabia sprinkled in there. It's a lot. It's a feast. It's a really long movie. It's a hat on a hat on a hat, but what part do I cut? Uh, (laughs) The nightclub, maybe? The Scott Adkins nightclub? I am surprised you liked it as much as you did. It's my favorite John Wick movie. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because you've come down on movies in the past or feeling like, you know extended third act movies <laughs> true <laughs> this is the most third this act this is literally the third staircase it's like oh we're done and it's for like, an hour and a half up that it's staircase. like if at the end of Lord of the Rings they just fell down the mountain over and over, <laughs> over again and yeah, over right? and over uh, yeah that's true that's fair <laughs> at the same time though it and I, it's immediately they're gonna make a sequel so yeah, my I thought, know, my, I what I'm about to say is gonna be immediately contradicted in like two weeks when they announce this but it is the final John Wick movie, theoretically, and I'm okay with them throwing everything they have at the wall. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm usually okay with that too in this circumstance. I liked the movie. Uh huh. It's actually number three in my ranking of John Wick. Okay, movies. what do you have ahead of it? I have the first and the second. Okay. Yeah. Three, I agree, is the weakest. Yeah. Yeah. It has one of the best shootouts with the dragon's breath. Yes. Shootout, which blew my goddamn mind. Incredible. It was so good. I'm like. Yeah. They are not. Holy. Sh- oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is so good. What and, the hell is that weapon? Well, it's a real thing. Did you know? Yeah, I did not know. I, this is the first time I saw it. <laughs> they are in, essentially incendiary shotgun rounds is what he's using. That's crazy. <laughs> Which is fucking. That's the thing. I, I have become death destroyer of worlds. Wait, wait. That, that guy's our American Boromir. Whoever invented that gun. <laughs> Who needs a bomb? That's crazy. Literally. I have a flamethrower shotgun. <laughs> literally. They're flame bullets. That's what you need to know. Yeah. Flame bullets. Yeah. 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 Right. And this guy is just re havoc as the camera just does a god's eye view of just letting this my angel of destruction do his thing <laughs> it's it, it is an incredible fight scene yeah. yes that one that's incredible i love the samurai stuff at the beginning with hero uk sonata he's the his buddy that runs the shanghai oh yeah. hotel at the beginning that's great yeah, that actor i like that actor again it's all these short films that are you yeah. know it, it, that's really what it is is a compilation of short films 
It is, and it was a lot for me. I thought it was way too long, but I totally get it. Yeah. I was okay. Again, I would maybe cut the Scott Atkins fat suit segment. I did not really care for the nightclub shit. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, weirdly, I was like, usually I love the nightclub stuff in these movies. Right. Some of it's usually some of the best stuff, but right. this one was like, uh, yeah, what is going on and why is this still going? Yes. <laughs> the other thing I would say, though, and why I have it number one in my John Wick rankings, Donnie fucking Yen as Kane. Yeah, very good. Playing another blind guy like he did in Rogue One, if you remember. Same kind of character. Yeah, he likes that character. I've never seen blind acting. Like, if Pacino in Scent of a Woman is on one side of the spectrum, Donnie Yen is the opposite of that. The way that he moves and the way that he choreographs not only what his body's doing, but what his eyes are doing and what his face is doing. And it's just so smooth. Unbelievable charisma. And there's a real, like, pathos with John. Like, they actually have a legitimate friendship. And in a way that I never really felt with, like, the Willem Dafoe character in the first one. No, yeah. Or even this connection with his wife, you know? Like, you see it in flashbacks, but you really don't feel it in the way that you feel this relationship. And the sacrifice that he makes at the end of this movie I found to be really touching. Yeah, I like that stuff a lot. Everything with Donnie Yen is a lot of fun. And I do, I do think that core relationship comes across quite strong. It's got to be a reference to Zatoichi, the blind swordsman. Yes. A very famous. Totally, yes. I actually think it's a Japanese character. I don't know. Is Donnie Yen Chinese? I He's say, Chinese, yes. Yeah, yeah. But regardless, it's like that's got to be what they're referencing there. Yeah. But very, very well done. And every set piece with his character, like blind fighting is so interesting and creative. <laughs> yeah. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I, I liked that guy who's like the Western. Uh, oh, guy. yeah. Who's uh, that guy? He's really oh, good. that guy's really good. Yeah. Yes. He's got the dog. Right. Yes. Good dog, by the way. He's Another like good the dog. bounty hunter. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, Shamir Anderson plays okay, him. Okay, yeah, he's okay. excellent, yeah. Emphasizing again that the John Wick world is like the most violent fantasy world you've, right. real life fantasy world where there's, you know, it's this weird odyssey trying to get to one goal at the top of the mountain. It's, it's the All, closest you can get to fantasy without actual magic. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I completely agree. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it did feel like that. Like with the Dragon's Breath scene, I'm like, right. yeah, we are in some weird uh, Dungeons and Dragons shit right now with yep. what they're pulling. Yeah, I had a good time with this movie. It just, again, it does kind of wear thin for me. Yeah. I gotta be honest, for the hand-to-hand stuff, I like the killer's hand-to-hand combat scene. That's my favorite hand-to-hand combat That's an scene. unbelievable scene. That scene is so good. Yes. Yeah. I am obsessed with that scene. I've yeah. just, I've gone back just to check the movie out for that one scene. Yeah. It's so good, yeah. Yeah. And your boy Clancy Brown's in this shit. He is in this. I mean, come on. Clancy Brown's, I mean, he doesn't do that much, but he's, <laughs> he's there. He's there. Being Clancy Brown that's, isn't doing something? It's, it's not enough. <laughs> that's, en- I mean, that's enough. I mean, you wake up every day as Clancy Brown. You've put in a good day's work. Making Krabby Patties, baby. That's right. That's right. R.I.P. Lance Reddick as well. Another yeah. little bit of pathos. that He, like, died a week before the movie came I out. I know, and, he's, yeah. and he gets shot. It's such a, like, thankless death, too. It's yeah. just, yeah. I'll say this, too. You know, I do like Bill Skarsgård in the movie. Yeah, he's though? good. He's, yeah. He's solid. Yeah. I'm excited for his upcoming movie about a certain weirdo vampire. Uh, all right. Yeah, there, there's my piece. We'll get to Godzilla in a bit. Yes. Number seven for you. American Fiction. How did you come to write this book? What really struck me was that too few books were about my people. Where are our stories? Where's our representation? Would you give us the pleasure of reading an excerpt? Yo, Sharonda, girl, you be pregnant again? If I is, Ray Ray is gonna be a real father this time around. Thank you. 
American Fiction is just the best. It rules. It's one of the funniest movies of the year for me. Uh, if you want to talk about just great comedies, but also smart comedies and interesting comedies and ones that are like biting and daring. I was very surprised that they wanted to make this movie. The re- reaction to it is pleasing, I would say. Yes. Uh, this movie just kicks all kinds of ass. Just, it does, yes. It's, it's very confrontational with its audience. Yes, yes. Right. In a way that is legitimately funny. Mm-hmm. And not just like mean spirited. No, you know what I mean. Although it is like it's attacking you, but it's not doing it in a way that feels preachy. You're like you're laughing along with it, and that's kind of the brilliance of it. Well, you say that it's not mean too. I do think the heart is all there. I mean, because you have the controversial story, and then there's just the life of Monk and his family and what they're going through and all right. that, especially with the stuff in his mom. And yeah, I just think the movie has its heart in the right place. And, you know, it was authentic and it did its homework. And I'm like, yeah, no, this movie, I don't know, it's a hard movie for me to criticize. It's it kind oh, of- Oh, I mean, that's the, yeah, it's- One step ahead of the audience at every turn. It's a Chinese finger trap of a movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the more you kind of praise this movie, the more you're kind of indicting yourself yep. of the things that the movie is accusing you of, mm-hmm. which is this very performative- uh, you know, white guilty like wokeness, right? Of like, I only like this certain type of black art, right? Like, a, yeah, you know, black art can only be this one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, my philosophy or what's the name of his book? Uh, my pathology, my pathology, which is eventually, <laughs> which eventually changed into fuck. Right. <laughs> I want to call it fuck. Is that great shot when Issa Rae? is reading a passage from her book and it's just oh, it's like you know it's like cheap wire shit basically you know? yeah the point is that it's appealing to the lowest common denominator right and you know during the thunderous applause the white woman gets up to give a standing ovation blocking in the frame jeffrey wright's <laughs> monk character and it's just this incredible metaphor of like this is the black art that white people find brave yep exactly. as opposed to the black art that black people actually want to make mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, it us praising the movie and the movie getting nominated for a bunch of Oscars as it's going to, and Jeffrey Wright getting nominated and everything. It's like an indictment, but also like a sign that it's a movie that strikes a chord. No pun intended for the director, director Court yeah. Jefferson, yeah, who does a great job in his debut. I like the cut of his jib. He did a really, really good job here. Totally, yeah. Jeffrey Wright. Oh, Jeffrey Wright. I mean, the we man. we know him as one of the great actors living. Yeah. Uh, it's no hold the dark, but there's no wolves here. <laughs> But I forgot that movie existed. <laughs> Goodness, Sonia. <laughs> um, your boy Keith David is excellent in the movie. Mm-hmm. Sterling K. Brown, a standout. Sterling K. Brown, I'm, you know, I've had my feelings of Sterling K. Brown, in the, not so much as a performer, just to, the choices of movies. But this is, he's very good at Well, he was movie. a member of a certain television family that oh, hugged he, and cried a lot, a lot, if I remember. That's true, yeah. 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 That show was fine, right? You liked that show? Did I? You're implying I watched that show. Were you a This Is Us fan, Abigail? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, but you caught glimpses, I imagine. No, 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 no. No, no, okay. Oh, no. Oh, no, don't leave me here. Fire Nico. up the rewatch. <laughs> Fire it up! Let's find out how Milo died. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, I, he's always sort of done work that has been right. Network TV and weird blockbusters. Obviously, the Predator is a major blemish on his resume. Yeah. But the funny thing about even the Predator is that like that's a shitty movie. But you could get some entertainment out of just watching him do whatever he's doing in right. the movie. Right. With his comically bad death, by the way. Yeah. The, one of my favorite deaths of all time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still copyrights. It's coming in. The Traeger death. The Traeger death, baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he steals every scene of this movie. He's really good. Uh, and it was, of all of the movies that I saw at TIFF this year, this is the one that I am most happy I watched at TIFF. Mm, yeah, great audience. Because the audience fucking loved it. Mm. And the second we walked out of that thing, I think we were pretty sure, oh, this movie's going to be a hit. It's going to get a bunch of Oscar nominations. You knew, it, yeah. you knew it right away, just based on the audience reaction, because people were laughing at all the right moments. That was a cool feeling to actually be a part of that, and just to be able to read the room in that way. I'm like, ooh, this movie is working. Right. This movie's working. Yeah. Right. Which is how Probably. you want to see this movie. You don't want to see it with, like, three old people at a matinee at your local theater. You, know? you want to see it with a crowd that gets it. In my mind. Number seven for me. Yeah. Dude, chill. Difficult men learn to be slightly less difficult. <laughs> oh, no. Here we go. The double bill, the holdovers, and a fire. A Nico Gregorio story. <laughs> yeah, there you go. A fire. Did you see this? A fire. No, I didn't. German film directed oh. by Christian Petzold. Okay. We did transit a couple years ago. This movie is streaming on the Criterion Channel. Uh, a bit of a, a bit of a slow burn. No pun intended. A fire, slow burn. That's okay. I like a slow burn. It's, it burns slowly because it's a fire. Yeah, Get in. slow burn. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a movie about fire. Things burn. <laughs> Things burn. Um, okay, so let me. Uh, we'll get to the holdovers in a second. I imagine. Because you know, obviously, that is a movie about a very grumpy man uh, who yes. learns to be a little less grumpy. I would say he loosens up a bit at the end. I would say so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I think this year I was more drawn to a fires version of this story than I was the holdovers version of this story. Two completely different stories, by the way, and completely different movies. But in terms of like difficult men being difficult, I preferred not the like cynical version of the movie, but the more acerbic version of the movie. Oh, okay. And that's what a fire is. It's a pretty, like, acerbic, biting portrait of an asshole. And here's the thing. I'll be honest. I often think of myself, I see myself in characters on screen often, you know, um, James Dean... And Rebel your, without a cause. You, you know. see yourself as James Dean. James Bond is another one. You know, James obviously very Bond. very Nico characters. Yes, of course. But if I was being honest with myself, well, it's like if you asked everybody in my life what character is Nico most like in movies, it would be the main character in a fire. Oh, lovely. A I know it all, agitated, frustrated, creative type. Same, like, body structure. Same, like, weird, like, pudgy body. I saw a lot of myself here. All the bad things of myself I saw in oh, this character oh. on screen. Oh, that's what... Because, again, you like some movie that's about him. Here's the plot. German dude goes with his buddy to what appears to be the friend's mother's beach house. 
and they're going to go because he's a writer and he's got writer's block and he's trying to finish his novel. Mm-hmm. And the buddy is just there to have a good time and kind of hang out. Yeah. And he's more of a free spirit whereas the main character, the main character's named Leon. And Leon. Leon, huh? Yeah, Leon. Awesome. He, he's very smug, easily irritable, doesn't like being uncomfortable, is incredibly insecure, and he's insecure about his writing, too. So he thinks he's going to lock himself in this cabin or whatever for a week with his buddy, and his buddy's going to, like, smoke pot or whatever and do all these fanciful things, and he's going to sit there and be miserable with his own thoughts for a week. And when they get to this cabin and they find that another woman is staying there, that their mother has allowed to stay there for a week. So all of a sudden, they have a roommate. And Leon's like, fuck this shit. I don't want a roommate. Again, it was something I would do if I was in this situation. I don't need this in my life. She's having men over, and they're humping in the other room. And, you know, she, she's walking around without shoes on, and it's making him <laughs> even more irritable, right? And the other guy's like, oh, I'm just going to keep doing drugs and hanging out, and it's great because he's a free spirit. <laughs> okay. And Leon's sitting there like, I must finish my novel. Meanwhile, he's like nowhere close to finishing his novel because he's a... He's an idiot. This woman catches the eye of Leon and becomes kind of an obsession. She begins reading his novels, criticizing his novels. That makes him upset because he doesn't want anybody reading his work at all. There's a scene in the middle of this movie where, like, the girl is reciting poetry to a table of a bunch of people. And everyone at the table is like, oh, this is so beautiful. And they kind of like, again, because they're free-spirited and they're on vacation, they're very open to this kind of, like, overt display of emotion and Leon that makes him very uncomfortable it's all you guilty as charged (laughs) and it is a movie that doesn't have like the nice happy ending that holdovers does it's not this neat like ah, and everything was fine at the end of the day there's an apocalyptic undertone to this because it's kind of an environmental movie this fire in the title of the movie is ever-present. It's looming large. And there's this little tapestry of environmentalism that's there that doesn't really present itself until the end of the movie when there's tragedy that strikes as a result of this. Impeccably shot, a great hangout movie, and as a difficult man... (laughs) You're not the worst. ...that needs to learn to be less (laughs) difficult, this movie felt like an absolute assault on me. Tell you to shape up, basically? just to relax. Well, Maybe if there's a pretty girl in the other room, you could put down your laptop for a second and stop writing your shitty novel that no one wants to read. Come off it. Oogle the pretty girl, Nico. Right. That's what you gotta do. Yes. <laughs> stop being so grumpy all the time. <laughs> the movie is a lot more layered than just that. Well, that sure, was just yeah, the... No. The part of it that I identified with. It would not be in Nico's top 10 if we didn't find one movie about Nico. That's usually how this goes. (laughs) But when you eventually watch this movie, I think it's on the Criterion channel, as I said. You let me know if you see a little bit of of me in this. I probably will. But I I definitely saw a lot of myself. Okay, great. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta love these characters. (laughs) I deal with them way too often. Sometimes they affect my viewing, but... Yeah, there you go. So anyway, in general, movies like The Holdovers... Not really a point of emphasis for my list. Is it high on yours? Where does it fall? Number six. Okay. I can tell by your faces that many of you are shocked at the outcome. I, on the other hand, am not, because I have had the misfortune of teaching you this semester. And even with my ocular limitations, I witness firsthand your glazed, uncomprehending expressions. Sir, I don't understand. That's glaringly apparent. No, it's... uh, I can't fail this class. 
Oh, don't sell yourself short, Mr. Coates. I truly believe that you can. I'm supposed to go to Cornell. Unlikely. We talked about it a lot. It was like one of our favorite movies of Tiff. It was the last movie that we saw in Tiff. I love a movie that has that texture and that environment. I love a good school movie. It's not like I haven't seen The Holdovers before. I have seen The Holdovers in a few iterations before. I, I mean, I guess the Alexander Payne voice is the thing that makes it shine. But, you know, it's not like the most unique movie in the world. But boy, does it work. And mm-hmm. that was enough for me in a, in a year that was just I don't know, movies were just kind of making me shrug. Even if I liked them, I was just like, eh, okay. And I guess it was another one of those instances where I was sort of like hoping that a movie would really make me feel something great, you know? And this did that for me a lot. It's just an awesome vibe, a great Christmas movie. Just, uh, the, the man, these performances are just the best. And Giamatti, of course, you know, I mean, I can't praise him enough. And he was well rewarded recently at the Golden Globes, so good for him. I'll say this about that, because... Killian Murphy is the best performance I saw this year. Yep, me too. In anything. Uh, uh, movies, TV, uh, stage, fucking TikTok. He's the best performance I saw in any medium uh, this year, period. Scorsese wins the TikTok performance challenge. Good point. Okay. Fair point. <laughs> and he obviously definitely needs to win best actor. Yes. Obviously. Uh, we all agree. But if you want to give Giovanni an Oscar... <laughs> I ain't getting in your way. Who am I to get in your way? Oh, man. that Who am I to say no to Paul Giamatti winning an Oscar? I mean, it is one of his best performances, is it not? Yeah. He's great in this movie. I I love it. And it's it's just too funny. He's too lovable, but he's such a shithead. His lazy eye. Again, you know this movie. Everybody knows this movie, but there's just something about the chemistry with these actors. I couldn't get enough of it. I just thought it was one of the more charming, profound, emotional experiences in a theater that I had had. Yeah. It just really, 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 really works. And we're going to talk about that again with what is my favorite movie of the year. Just movies need to start working again. Mm -hmm. It's it's weird to say, but it just feels like, I don't know, movies don't get it and they don't know how to be movies anymore. Right. Uh, (laughs) There's always, it's it's a weird criticism, but it's like there's always some other agenda and they all... Well, uh, satisfying the algorithm or whatever, all the focus groups. Too many metrics. Is this going to do well on the top carousel of Netflix or is the Peacock audience really hungry for something like, yeah, right. Exactly. Too much, yeah, metrics and politics and it's just like, guys, just make a movie. Just make a movie. Right. And this is just one of those great examples of that. Yeah, I think I probably cooled off a little, I mean, it's still made my top 10, but I cooled a little bit after TIFF Mm -hmm. just because it's so Hal Ashby to the point where- What's wrong with Hal Ashby? No, nothing, nothing. (laughs) It's it's just because it's not Hal Ashby. I mean, it's no. so Hal Ashby without being Hal Ashby. You know what I mean? But it's Alexander Payne. It is, and it's wonderful, and it is his best movie in years, of course. Absolutely. And Giamatti is a perfect muse for him, and it's just a lot of like I have seen every frame of this before. Mm-hmm. Not that it's a bad thing, no. But it didn't blow me away. I don't no, think in the no. way that a lot of the other movies on my list blew me away. No, I loved it, but I can't even say it like blew me away per se. It, it was just a good ah. Uh... Right. You know what I mean? But funny enough, talking about just movies not knowing how to be movies, like, I got to bring this up, but, like, did you see Dial of Destiny? I did not. So one of my, pro- again, it's just movies, just they don't get it. You don't do Unforgiven for, with Indiana Jones. <laughs> like, right. what is wrong with you? It's like one of those movies, the more I thought about it, I'm like, don't you understand that this character is just not designed from the ground up 
to right. It no, Indiana make, Jones is, was not invented he, to die. He's invent no. He's, right. Yeah. He's adventure man. He's generic adventure man that we all love, and that's, right. He's not supposed to ever be the regretful Western hero at all. It's, right. It's expressly the point of that character. Right. Yet you're trying to do it anyway, and it's just infecting the whole fucking movie. Right. Man, that movie. Like the more I thought about it, the more it frustrated me. And I'm like, if we can't even get Indiana Jones right, what are we doing, man? Right. If yes. if we can make an Indiana Jones movie that's not fun, like yeah. God, what's what is wrong with us? Yeah. One final note about holdovers. Yes. Great Boston movie. Yeah. Oh well, you would know about this more than I would. I, I mean, they shot much of this movie where I used to live. I mean, that little bookstore that's on the street there mm-hmm. in that little alleyway. I walked by that every uh, day. Oh wow. Every day for a year, I walked by that store on the way to class. Cool. All the great New York Christmas movies. There's not one great Boston Christmas movie, and this might be it. Think about all, you know, Miracle on 34th Street and Home Alone, and or Home Alone 2, I should say, and, you know, and Elf and all these great New York Christmas movies. Finally, Boston gets their Christmas movie. I'm happy for you, Boston. Uh, number six for me, my double feature, uh, you know, when you're doing the laundry or whatever, and then you got uh, all these socks paired off, and you fold them up, and you put them in your drawer, and then all of a sudden, there's just these two random socks that don't match. Uh, and you're like, what do I do with these socks? <laughs> and where'd the other socks go? And you squint for a little while, and you're like, ah, maybe I can wear them together. They kind of look the same. Uh, that's what I'm doing with these next two movies. Okay. All the other ones paired off nicely. These two didn't really pair off that nice. So this, these are your socks? So the double feature is called Two Extra Socks. Okay. And the loose definition that we're combining these things together the year's best comedies because they are two funny movies. I laughed a lot during these two movies, although they really have nothing else in common other than the fact that I laughed during them. Okay. They are Blackberry and they cloned Tyrone. Oh, I saw Blackberry. Okay. Number 17. Very good movie. Very good. Yep. How long to build a prototype of the phone? Pocket link. Yeah. Um, a year. No, no, no. A, a, a prototype, Mike. A shell I can wave around in a meeting. It could be a complete piece of shit. No, I can't. we're not doing that. No, Mike's not doing that. L- l- listen to me. U.S. Robotics is building their own phone. We are now in a race to get this thing to market, and we are a year behind. So I don't care what you need to do. Get these fucking nerds to drop everything and build this fucking phone. What? Sorry, guys. Um, uh, m- my girlfriend tried to cash my check this morning, and it bounced. Um, and she said, I'm not supposed to come in here allowed to, I shouldn't come in here anymore. And uh, she agreed I won't be coming in here any longer until I'm getting paid. Matt Johnson directs, starring yeah. Jay Baruchel. Matt Johnson himself as one of the co-creators of Blackberry. And, and of course, it's always sunny in Philadelphia as Glenn Howerton. Again, just another like career-defining role here because this is just the best character. I'm from Waterloo! (laughs) Where the vampires hang out! I love this fucking character. (laughs) An absolute just, like, tornado. Yes! Just destroying a small village. (laughs) It's one of those, like, it's it's a natural disaster performance. (laughs) It's... It's, it's another Godzilla, really. Yeah, it's is what out it of is. the fucking yeah. way. Glenn Howerton <laughs> Howard. has an angry scowl on his face. Oh, he's so bald. <laughs> he's trying to buy an NHL team. 
A lot of product-based movies came out this yeah, year. Yeah, 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 there were. Air, Tetris, the Beanie Bubble. There was that Flaming Hot Cheetos movie. Which I got Abby to try for the first time, by the way. Flaming the Hot. movie or the product? The product. Okay, Flaming Hot. She, she hated them. Okay. <laughs> And they all fucking suck because they're also paint by numbers and it's it just feels like they optioned it and then brought it to a journeyman director and there's no real personal stamp. And this movie, Matt Johnson, director of uh, that movie about Kubrick faking the moon landing. Oh, I forgot. The, uh, but he made The Dirties, which is a movie I really like. The Dirty, right, yes. Uh, and he also made, oh God, what was that other thing he made? Jeez, I I, yes, I'm blanking on it now. Ugh, I forgot. Yeah. But Matt Johnson's a dude. This guy has a distinct style and a distinct point of view and a really specific brand of comedy yes. that is both broad and understated at the same time. Mm-hmm. There's this like really voyeuristic long lens style that he shoots this thing in. Which is maybe the reason why it's not hired because I could fucking stand the oh, cinematography. I loved, it. I loved it. It was giving me the biggest headache. I thought he pushed it maybe a little too far. Oh, no. Absolutely uh, not for me. This is like Michael Mann cranking up the aperture oh, in an, Miami Vice. It's like, so annoying. I'm like, it's 2023. Let's stop doing this fucking style. No, Please. I, I hated it's like it. It's like if the office was like people swearing at each other and sure. they didn't know that the cameras were rolling. Man, the office sometimes felt like it had wider lenses than this. <laughs> I was losing it, man. I, I, I would really struggle with the look of this movie but yeah. these characters are too much you got too much you gotta love it yeah. <laughs> you gotta love it right and i think also as far as like these tech stories go it is a very easily defined arc that you don't have to dramatize in the screenwriting you know the fall of blackberry and the final days specifically at blackberry yeah. this guy uh that matt johnson plays uh doug fregan sold his entire stake in BlackBerry, like right after the iPhone launched for, I think it was like $1.3 billion cashed out, lived a happy and successful life afterwards as the company completely imploded. Yep. You know, it's this very natural arc where it's like, I watched air. Air didn't make your list. Did it? No, I liked air a lot though. Air's fine. It's a movie about like how cool Nike is. And that's great. I mean, Nike's cool. Michael Jordan's cool. But the speech that Viola Davis gives at the end of that movie, it's like, okay, you're dramatizing something that was not that dramatic. No, yeah. And like, like it. whereas Blackberry, it's all there for you. It's this incredible, tragic fall. Yeah, the ego associated with we have made the best amazing thing. We can't fail. Right. I love the final shot of the movie. Right. It's, again, this perfectly pathetic thing of this guy still trying to hold on. Right, and the phone <laughs> just doesn't work right. No. Yeah, it just doesn't work entirely right. Stressful, though. It's a little more stressful than than you might let on. Because I could see a lot of people watching this as like, it can be an anxiety trip of a movie where it's like, oh my God, what are these guys doing? Yeah. I wasn't laughing the entire way through per se, but yeah, it is one of the better comedies of the year, I would say, for me next to American fiction. But yeah. The performances in these characters, like specifically like the Matt Johnson character, the Michael Ironside character. Oh my God, fantastic. Really good. Fantastic. Everybody, one of these characters is just going to live in my head forever, unfortunately, but you know, it is what it is. And hey, Matt Johnson quotes David Lynch's Dune, by the way. He which does. Was, that is a fact. That was a great little moment for me. Right. <laughs> I love, too, that, you know, in a year where Bradley Cooper is, you know, doing a, a, a vanity project. I mean, let's call it Spade a Spade. Yeah. Right? Yeah. In a year where, like, the major directors that cast themselves always cast themselves as the most flattering person in their movie. 
Matt Johnson casts himself as the biggest schlub. Yeah. And I thought that was very telling. He constantly knows what he is. Right. Have you seen The Dirties? No. Okay, yeah, because he is uh, not a good guy right. in, in The Dirties, right. <laughs> to say the least. He's always kind of done that. He knows what he is. Yeah, he yes. understands his image. He's looked at himself in the mirror <laughs> for, right. for way too long to know otherwise, I right. would say. Right. It's like, I cannot play a George Clooney type. I, I am what I am. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but Matt Johnson, we love you for that. Uh, so incredibly fun. I'm pairing it again with a movie that has nothing to do with it thematically or tonally or anything, but I did laugh a lot at they cloned Tyrone. They don't open the damn door. You know why I'm here? I think we got more pressing issues to talk about. And what's that? They shot your ass. Where the money at? Do you not remember getting lit the fuck up? You should be breathing through some tubes right now. Look, I don't have time for all this. Fontaine, you took it. You took it. You came in here, you went to my haberdasheries, you passed up on my beige bitch, and you went outside and you pulled a 50 cent. A Netflix film, get this, that was dropped on Barbenheimer Weekend. Oh, no. The geniuses at Netflix decided, you know what would be a good time to release this really ambitious directorial debut starring big movie stars? The weekend that everybody's going to the movie theater. Yikes. And so they buried this movie. They cloned Tyrone. Jewel Taylor is the director here making his debut. John Boyega, Jamie Foxx, Tiona Paris star. Mm -hmm. Jamie Foxx yeah. is Loki having, because I know like he like had a serious medical emergency this year or whatever. People thought he was in a coma or something. An incredible year at the movies. He also did that movie The Burial on Amazon. Oh, I never watched that. Which is like totally fine, but it might be the greatest example of a movie where if an actor is on screen, I'm enthralled, and if he is off the screen, I want to turn it off. Tomb Raider. There has never <laughs> been for me a bigger discrepancy when Jamie Foxx is on screen versus when Jamie Foxx is off screen. Like oh, he's okay. he carries that movie up a fucking mountain. Like okay. it's crazy. Cool. He's so funny in this. John Boyega plays a drug dealer. Mm. Tiona Paris plays a prostitute. Jamie Foxx plays her pimp. Okay. They are obviously living in the hood, and eventually they come to discover that there is a sci-fi element to this reality that they're living in. There are people pulling the strings behind the scenes, and the second half of this movie, I mean, it's in the title, They Clone Tyrone, is about these characters uncovering all of the sci-fi elements in this ghetto and the elements specifically the forces that be that are keeping them there. Cool. Obviously a lot like the Jordan Peele movies, although not a horror movie. Sorry to bother you from a couple of years ago is probably the best analog I can draw to it. Right. And all this stuff is very, you know, it's on the nose. I don't think like it's going to blow you away in terms of social commentary, but the filmmaking here oh. is off the chain. And this guy, Jewel Taylor is a keeper. He's an excellent stylist. There's obviously a lot of 80s influence. There's that film stock quality references to like Star Wars and Goonies. And at one point, there's like a George Romero zombie movie in there. And Hollow Man, the Verhoeven movie, is explicitly oh. is like a running gag in the movie. Cool. Like there's one scene that's like the Star Wars scene where Chewie and, and Han, or uh, when Luke and Han kill the stormtroopers and, and put the stormtrooper outfits on. That scene is explicitly played out in this movie. There's a okay. Clockwork Orange scene explicitly played out in this movie. So all these cool references show you this guy knows what he's talking about. But it's not just an Easter egg hunt. 
it is like really stylistically innovative and new and fresh. So it's a movie just full of that stuff. Hollow Man's a running gag. A running gag in the movie. I like Hollow Man. But <laughs> Jamie Foxx and Tiana Paris talk about how underrated Hollow Man is. It is under. I agree with them. <laughs> so it's about these three, you know, people on the other side in the lower, lower, lower class of society become these heroes. And it's so fucking funny. Jamie Foxx is unbelievable as a pimp in this. Oh is my favorite pimp, I think, in any movie <laughs> ever. He's my pimp. number one movie You're pimp Your number one pimp. <laughs> and watching them sort of transform into heroes, it's a lot of a lot of fun. A lot of fun to be had. Cool. Give they clone Tyrone a shot. A little Kiefer Sutherland at the end. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. A little, little evil Kiefer Sutherland. I like evil Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah. That's a good one. Pretty good. I, I will say this. It's two hours long. Feels it. Loses a little steam at the end. But, like, the first hour of this movie where it's just, like, gags with, you know, criminals in the hood, it's mm. hilarious. It's really good. I mean, I'll say this. I didn't mind this year for comedies either. I, lo- I loved Quiz Lady. That was oh, a- yeah, that was fun. I yeah, saw yeah. that one, yeah. yeah. Quiz Lady's good. I actually thought um, No Hard Feelings was okay. Jennifer Lawrence one. Fun enough. Jennifer Lawrence is very good in it. Yeah. It's kind of unremarkable, I think. I, I don't even disagree. If you take the performances out, yeah. Sure. But it's funny. It's yeah. it, it could have been a real piece of shit. And Did you was. see Bottoms? No, nah, I didn't see it. A lot of people were like, yeah, I see Bottoms, and I was like, is that really, is it really that good? Mm. No. Uh, it's, it's, it's funny enough. Okay. It's one of the few modern comedies where there's a lot of attention paid to both the foreground and the background. Oh. Okay. Which is what I appreciated about it, is that there were gags that were just sort of thrown in there and... The filmmaker clearly was not concerned with whether or not you saw it. I love a comedy like that that doesn't call too much attention to itself, and that was great. I don't know. A similar sort of didactic Barbie problem for me, but it, it's fun enough. And gotcha, gotcha. Rachel Sanat and my girl Io are great. Yeah, I hear, I hear they're very good. What do you got? Number seven? Uh, no, no, that I'm on my number five now. Okay. Which is like the only like controversial one by your standards because it was a TIFF movie that I, I don't know when it's going to be released. Because it's still uh-huh. a normal family. Yeah, I don't even think it was bought yet. No, wow. Well, see, that's the problem. If it comes what? out, if it comes out in like twenty twenty seven. Right. Got, so then gotta... it's a twenty twenty seven movie. Exactly. We got, we got a problem here. Well, I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> like I don't know. Roar is not a twenty fifteen movie. <laughs> okay. Touche. <laughs> so uh, we talked about this one a lot when when we saw it at TIFF. This was like one of the ones that went like just like whoa. Okay, like. Jesus Christ to these yeah. to these people. I don't know. I've never seen anything by these guys before, uh, but we both love Korean cinema quite a bit, and mm-hmm. it's just like they just do it so much better than us. They sure do. Because this fucking thing rips. It's yeah. just awesome. I think the only standing O we were a part of. It, yeah, right? yeah. Right? It yeah. was excellent. This is the first of the movies, like, because now we're in my top five. All these movies from up I love. This is just impeccably made, just not a single kink in the armor, all the while telling this really disturbing and upsetting story. Mm-hmm. I just love the morality tale here. It It is so fiercely interesting, and I just love the way these arcs work and how, like, these two characters are, are at completely opposing ends at the start of the movie because of what their children do. And by the end of it, both characters flip sides. It's so awesome. I just love that structure, and they do it so organically and believably. There's not one moment where I don't buy that they would have taken that next step to the other side just to help their kids get through this um, this little uh, pickle that they're in, I shall would, we say? I would call it, call yeah, it a pickle. I'd, yeah, a uh, cage-sized <laughs> pickle, maybe. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's in the closet, by the way. <laughs> uh, where it belongs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this also, next to like Anatomy of the Fall, has some of the best performances of the year by far, particularly the woman who plays the mom. Uh, oh my God, she's so good. Yeah, uh, I mean, listen, when it comes time to vote in the Too Many Thoughts media elections, mm-hmm. uh, listeners, democracy is on the ballot, and one man is just throwing out the rules, whole cloth, <laughs> I'm trying as to change, he feels. Trying to change the Constitution. Ruining the sanctity of the top ten list. I'm amending the Constitution. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to say. Yeah, this was a very, very, very good movie. Yes. Uh, an execution of a story, by the way, that has been around. It's based yeah. on a Dutch novel. Mm-hmm. So it's a Dutch novel that has been adapted, by the way, as an American movie in 2017 called The Dinner. I did not know that. With Richard Gere. But this is an excellent translation. This could have been a wholly original Korean story, and I yeah. wouldn't have known the difference. Yeah. Because it's it's such a great vice tightening mm. sort of what would you do movie oh yeah you know exactly. that spirals out of control mm-hmm. um it is about two privileged families mm-hmm. i think we, we would say one's father is a lawyer one father is a, is doc- a doctor and their brothers yes yes, yes. they are family and the two fathers Salute me familiar. yes i think it's the lawyer's daughter and the father's son those two kids go out together and they get into a little bit of trouble. And so the parents have to decide how they're going to get their kids out of this problem. Are they going to come clean? How, are they going to cover it up? Yes. How much are they going to hide? And yes, like you said, are they going to go go to the police? And the whole movie is that back and forth. Right. What do we do? Uh, Except the crime is horrible. Yes. <laughs> it's important to say the crime is bad. Yes. Uh, it's very good. Yeah, I agree with you. I hope they don't botch the distribution. I hope this is a movie that people are talking about next year. Well, you know, when we're supposed to be talking about it. But okay, I mean, yeah. I like that it's on your top ten. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you that you like it. You know, yeah. What do we do when Batgirl comes out? <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you see? <laughs> oh, no. Yo, did you see when Batgirl comes out a hundred years from now? <laughs> did you see the day the clown cried? The Jerry Lewis Holocaust movie is getting screened. Oh, yeah. I heard about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jerry Lewis was like, you can release the movie in 2024, but I better not be fucking alive. Like, he put, like, in his will, contractually, you can show it, but not in my fucking lifetime you're not showing the movie. So it's going to, like, screen, I think, this summer at, like, local museums and stuff in its unfinished form as an artifact. Jesus. So... I don't know if that's a twenty twenty. I don't think. I don't think he knows if that's technically a twenty twenty four movie either. I'm not sure I'd put that on my list. Yeah. <laughs> so we we need to go to like MoMA or something so we can do it for why is this the there thing? There we go. Yeah. Yeah. I would not mind. Jesus Christ! The day of the cloud crash. It's finally coming out. Oh my! Lord. Can you believe it? Twenty twenty four is truly end time. Crazy. Yeah. Salute me, familia. Throbbing melodramas about complicated families. Oh, The Iron Claw and A Thousand and One. One of these makes my list. I imagine so. Mm. There used to be like 10 movies like this a year, and there are no movies like this anymore. 
pursuit of happiness um million dollar babies another mm. one oh yeah yeah uh the terms of endearments another one uh, those are all movies about death and i don't mean to because a thousand one is not about death so i shouldn't although iron claws <laughs> has there ever been a movie more about death than the iron claw i don't know <laughs> yeah um, i didn't see the iron claw oh you didn't nope oh you're referring to the other one yep oh word okay <laughs> but you know the, the these you know goodwill hunting a little bit is kind of like that too ish again different in style to these movies but, but like yeah certainly <laughs> they're like these bittersweet kind of they're about real people but they're not operatic do you know what i'm saying like they're just like about real people told in a straightforward real way thousand and one is very 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 much dealing with that yes yeah, as painful as it can often be right but there's hope at the end of the tunnel it's yes. how sad yeah decision it, you might have to be is right it's yeah. these movies that like we're just I guess tear jerkers is an easy way to put it, but I, I, they're not all like really tearful. They're used to be movies about people. Maybe is that what I'm trying to say? I, I is mean, it as simple as that? Thousand and One is very, very raw. Yes, yes, is sure. A good way for that I would describe it. I think there's yeah, again cynical tellings of that story. I, I don't mean like cynical from like a you know behind the scenes standpoint, like in, in the intention of the filmmaker. I mean like cynical about like the way life operates that are more pessimistic perhaps. Yeah, or maybe there's an uh, agenda maybe on the part of the filmmaker sometimes with, with movies like this where it's like... there's Well, 1001 has a lot of gentrification ideas going on. Yeah, but it. it's just there but, though. No, yeah, it's yeah, just there it, in the background. Right, it's right, very right. real. That's what I mean when I think it's just kind of raw and true to the way life actually is with these problems. Right. So when I'm cramming movies at the end of the year, I'll jot down notes as I'm watching it and... These were two examples of movies that I did not jot down a single note mm. during. No, you have to feel your way through them a lot of times. Because, like, I was absolutely terrified for these characters. Mm. Like, I was oh, so yeah. concerned with their well-being, and I was so in it with them. It's just a movie, it's about people in a way that the style never gets in the way, mm -hmm. the subtext never gets in the way. Nope, nope. I'm trying to put my finger on exactly what's missing in movies like this. Because, again, like, I've seen movies about like families in the inner city in the last couple of years but none of them quite hit me and i think it's interesting too that this is a period piece this is from the early 2000s late 90s giuliani bloomberg new york again that's a tapestry in it and iron claw is another one that is a it's a biopic it's a period piece late 70s early 80s yes. and it feels both these movies feel like movies from that era and movies that would have done insanely well at the box office because back then people were hungry for stories about real people oh, yeah. told on their terms. And that's what both of these movies are. Yeah. Good old-fashioned, tear-jerking, bittersweet crowd-pleasers. Yeah, I guess it's a bit of a crowd-pleaser in a sense, but it's a tough movie, I would say. It's very sad. And yes. Yeah, I agree that you're kind of scared for what's going to happen to these people. And it's not a pretty bow ending. Like, things are... Okay, like it could have gone worse is the best I can say. It's far from perfect. And I guess like a lot of the, these types of movies work so well for me is because they don't get distracted. I like the fact that they're so fiercely just about this relationship. Yeah, it's not distracted. There yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. The gentrification subplot, I was actually worried they were going to like dive a little too hard into that and then it just feels pretentious and it it forgets the fact that like just the message of this movie is is in these characters i didn't want these characters to stand for anything no i think no. that's what it was you know i <laughs> no, wanted this story to be about them because i was it is about that specifically yeah. concerned yes i'm concerned with gentrification in harlem but i am as i'm watching the movie concerned about these specific people and that scene where the guy yes yeah, coming sort of 
you know, edges them out of yeah. the apartment. It might be best if you left. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. in that moment, am I, like, angry about the state of New York City in the early 2000s? Kinda. I'm, what I'm really angry about is that you're doing this to my family. Yes. Because these guys are my family for two hours. No, and it, yeah, exactly. That anger doesn't need to come from the movie preaching to you. You'll just get right. it from from feeling it through these characters. Yes. And they feel like your family when you're going through the whole thing, when you're sticking yeah. with the movie. Because it, it is a tough journey that these characters have to go through. Yeah. And I really feel sorry for them. So when this horrible stuff is happening to them, yeah, that's it. That's all I need. You don't need to talk down to me, movie. I'm already right. here with you. Right. And this movie completely understands that. It's just a very wise movie. It understands and respects its audience to kind of go along with it through these people. And I just think that ending is, it's just one of the most beautiful movies I've seen this year, period. And that ending is- It's a twist that doesn't feel contrived at all. Even though it's a twist. It's like, oh. It's a capital T twist. It is, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It enhances the movie. It actually makes the themes more true, Mm -hmm. right? It doesn't contradict anything that I've watched for the last two hours. It just enriches it. Well, it makes it fuller, you know? I get, yeah. It's so weirdly uplifting because it should be this thing that just- tears their life apart in a, in a sense it kind of does but it also makes their relationship stronger in the end yes it's totally. like the last terrible thing that could possibly happen to them and they're able to rise above it and it's such a beautiful idea yeah where is it on your list four cool i loved it i really yeah. really really loved it and again it was a movie that was very i'm watching like yeah this is very very good i'm enjoying this and i'm really feeling it and when she hit the third act for me it was starting to like calcify into something really beautiful and special and i was starting to like really get what the movie was laying down and it just like again movie sticks its landing so beautifully i wouldn't change anything about it ever since i was a child people said my family was cursed Mom tried to protect us with God. Pop tried to protect us with wrestling. He said if we were the toughest, the strongest, nothing had ever hurt us. I believed him. We all did. I feel the same way about the Iron Claw, by the way. I don't know if you know the story of the Von Eriks. I know some of them died. Yeah. But I don't know the circumstances behind that. This movie is a comically absurd string of death. The The amount of death that happens in succession is too ridiculous to put in a script, even though it actually happened. <laughs> in fact... Okay. In fact, Adam... I must have killed more men than Cecil B. DeMille. Spoiler, I'm sorry for the movie, it, but... It, this is the movie. It's based on real life. Okay, I can't spoil something that happened 40 years ago for somebody. There's an extra Von Eric brother that killed himself that they do not include in the movie because they thought it would be too over the top. Oh, my God. There's a real guy that's not even a character in the movie because they're like, oh, that would be a little too ridiculous if we added another suicide. Oh, Jesus. It's insane what happens to this family. But it is, it, again, gut-wrenching, absolute tearjerker because these are my brothers. I'm in the theater for two hours, mm-hmm. and it's not heavily stylized again. It's not this operatic thing. Yep. It's not like Ferrari, for example, which is a movie that I imagine we'll be talking about in a bit, where it's like this very broad impression of a man, or Oppenheimer, which is a broad sort of impression. impression. Yeah. This is a very authentic Southern tale, a, okay. a Kentucky fried tale, as Oh, it were, no. Of tragedy in the South and of... a. Uh, overbearing father and of brothers that love each other and how, you know, love and control and toxic masculinity and all that stuff can kind of combine into 
tragedy and it just it was a mess at the end of this movie it was Aww. an absolute mess Good. in the same way on the opposite end 1001 i think i was affirmed by the ending yes you you are I and say, yeah. this one although it ends on kind of a bittersweet note it's just like unbelievable it's just like abusive it's like how could you Not do abusive. this to me movie wow they don't make them like that anymore, Adam. No. <laughs> Jeez, and they don't make movie stars anymore. Like, you know, like Jeremy Allen White's in, and he's great in The Bear or whatever. But like 30 years ago, that would be Brad Pitt in The River Runs That's Through true. It or whatever. Like, it would. we should be minting these major movie stars, and they should be making movies like this, and it should be winning awards. It should be grossing $200 million at the box office. What happened to us? Iron Claw should be a massive hit. There's no movie stars in it, though. Yeah, no, I know. That's that's the problem. Like, because we haven't made a movie star in 30 years. Well, we got Tim. Leo we, DiCaprio we, is still like pretending he's 20 years old. We got Tim. He's in his 50s. We got Timmy and we got Margot. <laughs> right. Yeah, I that's guess. About it. I guess. No, it's, I don't know. It's so easy sometimes. Yeah. To make the iron claw. It's just like, it, tell it, the story. Yeah, it looks very good. It looked very good. I just didn't get to it. I was going to go see it, but I just lost time. I yeah. Uh, what are we at? Number four for you i just said it was a thousand and one okay i feel like i'm talking a lot yeah <laughs> you're like my slot is like one ahead of yours <laughs> for for all of them okay number four for me will somebody fix my damn water heater okay frustration and ennui in the modern world it's a pairing of showing up and fremont okay did you see fremont no but i saw showing up okay there weren't many women that were doing translation work like you were doing in that sense. Uh, you're sort of a pioneer. So your family must be proud of that. I left, but they are still there. They have to hear people talk to them about raising a daughter who was a traitor. Do you think you were a traitor? I don't spend much time thinking. Why? Too busy with my social life. Fremont, directed by Babak Jalali, who is an Iranian-British director, although this is an American movie, an English-speaking movie. It is about this Afghan translator okay. who moves to Fremont, California, the Fremont neighborhood in California, I think in the Bay Area. She uh, gets United States citizenship by translating in the military for the United States. And in Afghanistan, this is viewed as a major betrayal of her people, essentially. And so she was able to get out. Meanwhile, her family back home has to live with, you know, being a pariah in society because everyone hates her for translating for the enemy, essentially. Yeah. Funny enough, the second movie this year I watched about an Afghan translator after Guy Ritchie's The Covenant. Oh, you saw that? Yes. Also about an Afghan translator. How the hell was that movie? Fine. Okay. Okay. I don't think I really want Guy Ritchie doing war movies. But no, but, yeah, uh, but I, I kind of just want him doing heists all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all he could do. If something's not getting stolen, I'm not really interested. <laughs> so, you know, she is now living by herself in America, doesn't speak the language very well. She works at a fortune cookie factory writing the fortunes. Okay. She's a fortune cookie writer, and it's this very hilariously bizarre and dumb job of just writing these platitudes <laughs> on a fortune cookie that people will read and be like, oh, that sounds a lot like me or whatever. That's a job I can apply to do. 
I don't think it actually exists, but in the universe of this okay. movie, it exists. It's a small business where they're, you know, right. She sits there at a typewriter all day writing fortune cookies. And she's grouchy and she's very short with people. And she ends up going to therapy because she wants drugs because she's an insomniac and she wants sleeping pills. And the therapist will only uh, prescribe her these sleeping pills if she sits there as he tries to get stuff out of her. And she's very cagey with him. The therapist is played by Greg Turkington, who is uh, part of Tim Heidecker's On Cinema show on Adult Swim. Not a real actor, more of a comedy guy. Is hilarious in this as her therapist. Uh, he's obsessed with uh, White Fang, the novel White Fang, about the dog that survives in the Arctic or something. Oh, and he's always like waxing poetic about, but she loves White Fang, and it makes okay. he, he talks about the plot of the movie, and the dog survives, and he starts crying. It's like me with Babe. Yes, he starts crying, <laughs> just like spontaneously in therapy, just talking about White Fang. Yes, you, you know all the lessons in life are found in White Fang. It reminded me so much of old Jim Jarmusch movies. Okay, it's shot in this beautiful black and white Academy ratio, slice of life movie. Dark comedy, real like quirky funniness, a little bit of Woody Allen in there, like a tinge of Woody Allen about listlessness and just like, yeah. where am I going to go in life? And Jeremy Allen White, the aforementioned, oh. makes a little cameo at the end of the movie. And it's a movie that ends with just a little bit of hope. You know what I mean? She strikes up, I, I won't even say a relationship. She meets Jeremy Allen White. And the little early spark of a romance is kind of there, but maybe it won't go anywhere. Maybe it will. It doesn't really resolve itself in that sort of neat way. It's a really cool indie. Really recommend it. My number four of the year. Sweet. Uh, and I'm pairing it with Showing Up because that is also a movie about a frustrated woman protagonist. Very good. This time, an artist. I don't know what I'm supposed to do without hot water. My show's open on Friday. I'll be free to deal with it after that. I have a show too, you know. You're not the only one with a deadline. I know, but I have two shows, which is insane. Hey, give me a push. Uh, and then Showing Up by Kelly Reichert. Very good. Has some bigger movie stars in it. Michelle Williams, Hong Chow, who's on just an unbelievable run. Mm -hmm. What a run she's on. Uh, John Magaro, Andre 3000 is in it. He plays the ceramicist. He plays the guy that operates the kiln. Oh, that's odd. Yeah, that is. Okay. I'm like, where is he in the movie? Uh, Judd Hirsch is in it. Yes, he is. Uh, Andre 3000 does the score for this. And that's where he got the bug to do a new age jazz album. I think Richard Brody put in his review that Kelly Reichardt directs it like she's a painter almost <laughs> okay. with kind of a wandering eye. You know, where it's like, oh, look, there's a bird. Let's take care of the bird for a little while. Isn't that what she always does? Yes, to yes <laughs> well, totally. As if this movie's any different. Right, fair <laughs> point. But it's like very kind of spontaneous. And yes, it, it is. It meanders and it goes down weird alleyways and Didn't stuff. Didn't think I was going to like it an hour. And I'm like, yeah. no, I am not digging this. And a lot like First Cow, just something, <laughs> something clicks. Yeah. I don't know what it was. It's yeah. just like, it's like, oh, you know, this yeah. is a nice, really good movie. Right. I get it. It right. takes a minute to get Kelly Reichardt, I think. But right. it's worth it. Great movie about having a cat. Sure. Great movie about taking care of a bird to procrastinate on your sculpting. Very true. Yeah. Very true. Hong Chow, really frustrating landlord. That moment <laughs> yeah. where Andre 3000 opens up the kiln and the one statue was burnt or the one sculpture was burnt 
And he's like, oh, you know, I kind of like the imperfections. And you see it on Michelle Williams' face, who's fantastic in this. She's very like, good. what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, you ruined my sculpture, looks you like dipshit. <laughs> but I was sitting there thinking the same thing. I'm like, right. you know something? It's kind of nice. It, yeah. it does something. Right. It but <laughs> an artist like you know, does not talk that way about their work. No. Their artist is like, I, I wanted it this way. Just yeah. do it the right way. Exactly. Yeah. I get it. No, I get it. I'm not sure this person... Should she not be an artist? I don't know. I'm not sure she's like super passionate about art. I don't think she can help herself. It's yeah. like she, even it, she probably would would shrug it off, but it's all she's ever done. Yeah, I, I feel like a part of it too. Her mom kind of pushed her into it because that subplot. Because her mom like runs like this conservatory. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, it's the type of person that constantly talks about how much they hate their phone, but they're always on their phone. Yeah, <laughs> she just can't help herself. She's always right. doing it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's this thing, and that's kind of like how the process of art works. It's never like as fulfilling as people say it is, and everything annoys you, and you put it off, and it's just this act of constant procrastination basically yeah. and eventually you stumble into something that you're kind of proud of but not super proud of oh yeah and i found that to be very true yeah, uh and both these movies gave me that same kind of feeling of like what am i fucking doing with my life <laughs> you know <laughs> i agree another feeling i was definitely into in 2023 sure, sure. yeah. it's just trying to figure it out and does it come to something towards the end maybe yeah i don't know yeah. Maybe it does. Uh, Bye. I don't know. Yeah. Bye. Right. <laughs> <laughs> good, very good movie, though. Yeah. Yeah, very sweet. Uh, all right. That's my number four. All right. Will somebody fix my damn water heater? All right. <laughs> hey, by the way, speaking of fixing the water heater while we're, <laughs> while we're here in my house, one of my showers needs work, goddammit. And I watched this movie. I'm watching it with Abby. And she... <laughs> She keeps yelling at Hong Chow, like, I need hot water. And Abby's like, so do I. <laughs> um, One of our showers is a little finicky. <laughs> Hong Chow. Yeah. I mean, just the, oh. I mean, I got a great string of, like, kind of asshole characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know? But again, that, like, perfect type of asshole that's just, I... It's a real asshole. A real, yes, exactly. The the There's not enough to spare, asshole. I hate those people. Right. Oh, I hate those fucking people. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's the worst, best, my favorite Seinfeld villain. <laughs> Can't <laughs> spare Square. Oh. Oh, I hate her so much. Can't spare it. Hate her. Uh, okay. Uh, number three for you? Is that where we're on? Yeah, number three. What do we got? Maybe Will Align? Ferrari. It looks better. Does it? I have a secret to tell you. In all life, when a thing works better, usually it is more beautiful to the eye. I really love this movie a lot more than I was expected to, and I thought I would like it, but man, it meant no, no pun intended, but it's man. Man, 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 not like a traditional Michael Mann's vibe, but he is going for it in this movie. There's just a weird love for the journey of this man and the love of the car for some. And there's something compelling about that to him. If it works, it's pleasing to the eye. Exactly. Look up. What do you see? <laughs> Pietro. Pietro. <laughs> Ferrari, uh, Ferrari. It's nothing new at the same, but I, I don't know. There's something about man putting his touch on this character and his weird desire to, like, what even is Ferrari's goal in this movie? Um, to, to 
win a race. I mean, that's uh, yeah, it, right? I mean, that's kind of it. The dry. I guess that's what it comes down to. Yes. Man is. It, Although the movie is very rarely about the race no. until it's very much about the race. Uh, that's kind of his only concern, right? I mean, that and his horrible marriage and family, I guess. Yes. But all of that, the, keeping that together so we can build so cars. So we can build cars, yes. Right, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. It's about the man and the drive, I guess. The drive to keep doing this So many car puns thing. in one sentence. It's true, though. You're right when you call it just this weirdly operatic tale yeah. that's kind of realistic, but also not realistic at all. Mm -hmm. So strangely vibey and gorgeous and powerful, man. This thing... Hits like a bunch of pistons, god damn it. Mm. It just never stops. It's not snappy. Like, I think about Oppenheimer, and that's a movie that does not let up, and that's totally. a pr long, propulsive movie. And this one doesn't really quite have that same pace. But weirdly, even in those scenes, I still felt like I was getting pummeled by the movie's storytelling. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's just these characters. Maybe mm -hmm. that's the weird contrast between Ferrari's life and Penelope Cruz's life. Mm -hmm. And it can be frustrating and the man can be frustrating and mm -hmm. his goals are just like like sometimes confounding. Like, what do you want out of life? And I just couldn't get enough of it. I was quite enthralled by the movie from front to back. I had an incredible time in the theater with this movie. Uh, has one of the most jaw-dropping, horrifying moments I've seen in a while with that second crash. I didn't know about it yeah. coming into the movie. I I guess smartly avoided any reviews coming into because I know like man was talking openly like, yeah, we portray this crash, this historic crash from the 50s. And it's, you know, this is how we did it or whatever. He's very open about it. They're not trying to hide the ball on you. So, I mean, it was just pure luck that I walked into the theater not knowing anything because I don't know anything about racing. I, no, like I'm not so. a racing guy. Gran Turismo, similar thing. I didn't know about this story. Or, yeah, yeah. Know, I would say this one does it a little better than Gran Turismo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just a tad. Well, uh, apparently this one is does, just doesn't look very good, though, Nico. Yeah. <laughs> right, looks corny. Yeah, is looks, that what the, the journalist said? I would say it looks corny. <laughs> Literally the dumbest criticism. Like, Armand White has never cooked up something that stupid. <laughs> It's the literally the dumbest question. Like, where does that come from? What would even possess you to ask that question? No, first After you have to think of seat. it. Yeah. For, right. First you have to think of it. You have to have the observation, this looks corny, which no one would ever have. No, no. And then you've got to have the balls to ask Adam Driver that. Yes. It's like crazy. It's like, are we ignoring what happens in that scene, you fucking psycho? I mean, it's incredibly, like, my theater, like, you could hear a pin drop when yes. that happened. It was crazy. Just silence, and it was collective gasp. It was unbelievable. Yes, and I think also, walking into this, it's, it's weirdly exactly what I expected, yeah. and that's kind of what disappointed me. And I've grown, I think, to love the movie more the further I've gotten away from it. Mm -hmm. Just because I think the character stuff is really good. It is and really it's good, Michael yeah. Mann in insider mode, right? It like is, it's yeah. a pretty straightforward biopic with, again, these operatic gestures. But, you know, I like when Michael Mann really fucking pushes it. I, I love Collateral. I love Miami Vice. I lo love Heat. I love when he's trying something. And... You know, even like Black Cap, critics didn't like it. They're fucking stupid. I mean, like, <laughs> that movie looks awesome. It rips. It's mm -hmm. fun. I enjoy him taking the big swings, and there were moments in this where I kind of felt the Michael Mann ambition poking through. Yeah. But it's pretty tampered down for the most part. No, it definitely is, yeah, for I sure. I think when that crash happens, though, 
the more straightforward storytelling and the more straightforward filmmaking makes a lot more sense because that moment is much more horrifying because of how unstylized it is. Yeah. It's and, not to say it's unstylized, just relative to I, what maybe what we're used to. And Yes. And the I, fact that I can see it, maybe. How about that? Uh, sure, yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It definitely still has a texture to it that's pretty undeniable. Yeah. I always go back to those scenes in Miami Vice where they're just talking about God knows what, but it's just fuck yeah man talk right. except channeled through like a biopic and right. it is believable a way as you possibly can with Penelope Cruz pointing a gun at it. Oh sure yeah no there's definitely right like broad characters. Yes stuff exactly. Yeah. 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 Shoots a gun at him in the first five minutes of the movie. Yes. Like it's, yeah. It's I wouldn't call it a no chill movie. Right. But I think I was going into it I mean expecting an insider and I got an insider and like, I don't know if it's, like, top-tier man for me. Like, I think, like, it's probably middle-ish. Well, I think Insider's his best movie. <laughs> Insider is his best. That's the, that's the problem. That's the problem, right. <laughs> Insider is his best movie. But even Insider, I don't know. In, like, when Pacino's on the beach at the end of that movie, it's like, okay, this is a fucking vibe. Even though oh, it's sure, straightforward, sure, sure. you know. Yeah, no Tortious interference is a vibe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, th- I think the mundanity of... The movie and how sort of, you know, matter of fact it looks like it still looks great. still shot great. Yeah, it's it looks Michael fantastic. Movie. Yeah. But when you get to the horror, it's like, oh, that's happening to actual people. Yeah. You know, I that's not myself. happening to the gangsters in Miami Vice. No. That's not happening to Tom Cruise on a subway. No. You know, like those are yep. fantasy characters in fantasy Michael Mann land. These are real people that it's happening to in a real village and it's horrifying. Yeah, it's that idea like what happens when you unleash a Michael Mann upon the right. <laughs> real people. Yes. This is where he can find that avenue to actually do that and it is really, really, really scary. Yeah. This is the movie that I wanted Maestro to be. Yes. <laughs> this is the exact movie I wanted out of Maestro. Yes. A movie that I like fine. Yeah, me too. But, but did not make my top 20. And No, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah that was one of the more confounding ones for me because it's a good movie but yeah. like... And in theory, I should be loving this. But I just came out of it saying, who cares? Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, it's, I understand like you want to make the movie about his marriage or whatever, but I could use a little bit of conducting shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is a movie that hides the ball on you, right? Like, it's mostly oh. about his marriage. I'm talking about Ferrari now. There's still some shit about the cars, you know? Like, it's no, still it gives about you what car- you, Definitely gives you what you ask for. It takes for an sure. hour and a half to get to the Mahler scene in the chapel there in maestro yeah and that's the best scene in the movie obviously because like Leonard Bernstein is being Leonard Bernstein it's like I need a little bit of that yeah I don't want the whole thing being about his closeted you know his beard or whatever his marriage you need to display the icon before you can tear him down or deconstruct him whatever you're trying to do and that movie weirdly doesn't exactly do that right that movie is playing one note throughout the entire film and sometimes I'm not sure if the note is any more interesting than just they're complicated. Right. <laughs> I'm like, is that it? Yes, right. I felt that way about a couple movies this year, but that was one of them where I'm just like, you got to give me a little bit more than this. That argument they have, that one shot, I'm just like, I don't know, it's not With working. Snoopy? Yeah. Yeah, is the Snoopy balloon? It's just not working for me. It just wasn't yeah. working. I'm just, I feel like the movie hadn't earned that moment yet. Yes. And I understand why, because the movie is trying to hide the ball on you in the sense, like, you're not exactly sure when she knows that he's gay or when they make these agreements. All this stuff happens in between the moments that are actually filmed. So I, I get it. Like he's trying to, he's making a lot of choices, you know, it's about the in-between moments. And so it's, it's playing around with you. Ferrari does a similar thing, right? Like the car stuff kind of just happens and it's the catharsis at the end, but this is mostly about Penelope Cruz and Shailene Woodley and that love triangle. Oh yeah. And his son. 
and I was into his domestic life more because I was also into his work life. Mm -hmm. And Michael Mann didn't deny me that. Because no, no, that's the important thing. That's the thing about Michael Mann. Like, when he makes a movie about a topic, he really likes the fucking topic. No. He likes police jargon. Like, in Ali, he loves boxing. And in this one, he fucking loves cars. He's been trying to make this movie for 20 fucking years. Wow, wow. And he yeah. he's done so much research on the guy, and he knows the guy. Mm -hmm. And it felt, although unconventional in the parts that it's showing you, it felt fully realized as a portrait of a person, whereas Maestro felt incomplete. Yeah. And I walked away from that being like, I didn't really learn a much, as much about Bernstein as I wanted to. One, two, three. Holy D. There on who Wharton have on. Thin and skinny, about six foot seven. Don't we know you ain't our brother or you friend of folk? Or other. My number three, uh, James Lipton's Wet Dream. Okay. <laughs> movies about acting. Oh, no. The one-two punch of movies that I'm pretty sure you did not like. May, December, and Asteroid City. Oof. I didn't dislike either of these movies. I'm just surprised they're that high on your list. May, December is my actual number three. Asteroid City was probably like 15, 16-ish. Okay. They're movies about acting in ways that are explicit and not so explicit. Uh, <laughs> the movies about actors. I would think Todd Haynes would say like, I'm not entirely sure what I got to the bottom of. <laughs> uh, so... Um, <laughs> Put that on the fucking poster for the movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Both very different approaches to acting theory, right? Mm -hmm. But both come to a similar conclusion, right? Asteroid City is this Russian nesting doll, Wes Anderson movie. It's a documentary about actors acting in a play. And Asteroid City is that play. And Jason Schwartzman and Scarlett Johansson or whatever are actors portraying these characters. So you're watching the play within the story about the making of the play. And the movie sort of climaxes with this scene with Jason Schwartzman who can't quite crack his character. Mm -hmm. And eventually he meets Margot Robbie on the balcony and something clicks for him. This is how I tap into the emotion in myself rather than searching for what the character is thinking, how do I feel it myself and then use that as a way of playing the moment, playing the emotion, rather than playing the character. Mm. Natalie Portman takes an opposite approach <laughs> because she's a shitty actor. I'm not talking about Natalie Portman, who gives my favorite Natalie Portman performance of all time, by the way, in this. I know you're not a big fan. What? I fucking love her in this movie. Oof. Love her in this. Snooze. Love her in this. She's a shitty actor, her character in May, December. Her whole thing is like, I'm gonna insert myself where I don't belong in an invasive kind of way, and masquerade as the character and try to literally get into another character's skin. And it's like, that's not acting. Acting is not this invasive, like, how do I literally step into someone's shoes? Acting is about finding truth in yourself and using that as a conduit to a greater truth about somebody else. And Natalie Portman doesn't learn that lesson because the movie that she ultimately makes is bad. <laughs> but both... Asteroid City and May December have this similar point of view on the matter. And in Asteroid City, obviously, there's these references to Lee Strasberg and the Meisner method, and oh, it's yeah. a lot more like technical, 
Whereas May, December yeah. is this like new age, like what she imagines Daniel Day Lewis does, which is just learn a bunch about somebody and like literally yeah. pretend to be them. And crossing a line many times, having sex with an innocent boy, essentially. Yep. Uh, a man-child at that point in the movie. But both are about how acting is kind of bullshit. Uh, and that's why I think they make a really fascinating double bill. Okay. What do you think? Asteroid City is number 47 on my list. Wow. Very low. It's my least favorite Wes Anderson film. Though. It is my favorite one since Life Aquatic. My issue is just in, mostly with its pacing and a lot of, with its characters, which to me just don't get to the heart of anything that I can recognize as true from an actor standpoint. And sometimes, like even if like his point that he's getting at is is not entirely my thing, like I can at least latch on to like some of the side characters in a Wes Anderson film that are fun and for me. And I couldn't even do that here. Tom it, Hanks. Shrugs. Everyone was See, a the Tom Hanks Schwartzman stuff. It was all a gigantic shrug. The dead wife, like that is the most emotional I've been in a Wes Anderson movie since Life Aquatic. I have not felt that in a Wes Anderson movie in many years. I don't think it's there. I just didn't see it, man. Yeah. A lot of it to me was the Wes Anderson execution. Right. Okay. Yes. But it's a movie about that, though. Is it, that intentional, though? Totally. Uh, yes. One bajillion percent yes. It's a movie about characters that are unable to tap into the emotional parts of themselves. But even when yes. they are genuinely tapped, like the, the scenes that aren't Asteroid City, when they're tapping into something quote-unquote emotional, I'm, not, I'm still There's not... There's really only one scene, though. It's the Margot well, Robbie scene. Well, they shouldn't know. They should still be at some sort of level of truth when they're not in the actual Asteroid City It's not that it's not truth, it's City that it's scenes. not cathartic. I think there's but it's a not No, but it's not, it's not even cathartic. It's, to me, it's just kind of like, I don't even know what you're aiming for here. A lot of it was just lost to me because I don't think he ever really hit any of those marks that you're talking and about. And see, all of these... I'm like, no, of I them. know it's a cheap defense to be like, well, that's the point of the movie. But that is the point of the movie. No, but I mean, it's like the lead okay, two even, characters, even they're the Margo- falling in love and they don't even know why. Like, they don't even know how to... Like, there's that conversation that oh, and Johansson I, and Schwartzman have. It's like they're two AIs in a simulation. They literally don't know how to function as people. And that's fine, but even the Margot Robbie scene doesn't work for me. Oh, see, that one, I'm that's like... That's the problem. Uh, yeah, we're, that we're, a fucking hit. It's all the same. It's okay. all this. It's all, all right. the same. Okay. It's all the same. It, I don't think Wes Anderson really balanced that. And I've, I, you know, again, I've seen him kind of try to go for similar emotional climaxes and work very well. This is an unusual territory for Wes Anderson for me. Certainly, with the meta commentary going on here, I just don't think he was on his mark. That's the best way I can put it. It would have worked for me. It's a movie that should have worked, but it's one of those where it's like I don't think you quite had a handle on yourself here. And the other thing that might have helped too, I don't care that much about like that the commentary itself, the, the comment- theoretical stuff. The theor- no, none of that. It's very interesting to me at all. Also, it's the same reason why I didn't really care that much about May December. I'm like, that's it. Is that really right. all we're talking about? Right. Here? Who cares? Like, there's a lot of just like, who gives a shit about this story? I don't give a flying fuck about anyone or anything that's going on. Is this really well? Co- that movie compelling too to is also pretty goddamn cynical and sure. is not. Really invite like it's a chilly movie. Oh yeah, this. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. I can easily see someone watching that being like, "Well, fuck these people. Fuck literally everybody on screen except for Charles Melton. They're all absolute monsters." Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, yeah. But again, that's exactly what I want out of a movie. Like, I just think that movie is delicious. I fucking it's a meal. I loved it. I absolutely fucking adored it. I know a lot of people have been chilly on it. I totally I get where you're coming from. I mean, I like Julianne Moore and I like Charles Melton in the movie, and that's kind of it. It wasn't that fun. It wasn't. Eh. Oh, I find it fun in like a really dark, perverse way. Sure, yeah. Like I like just bitterly funny and depressing and like. Yeah, but fuck them. Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> Who cares about anyone? 
in the movie. <laughs> you care about Melton? No. Like, he's a good performance is good, but whatever. I'll live. <laughs> I'll get by. I'm, it's, not, it's not a movie that's, like, hanging with me. I'm not, like, broken up about this particular character. I thought the sex scene was, like, devastating. When she's like, that's what grown-ups do. That's just what grown-ups do. He's piecing it together for the first time in his life. Yeah, he's coming to terms with what this That really I've means. been abused. abused yeah. and like, I've seriously been abused, and, like, my life is forever affected by it. It's not just something I can bury in the past or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, also, there's incredible comedy. I mean, it's really fucking... It's not that it's funny. It's funny. It's really funny. No. No, I, it's not like it should not. be in the comedy category of the Golden Globes like it was this past weekend, I, but it's funny. I found it hard to find a laugh in this movie. Okay. I did. And Natalie Portman can fuck right off. She's not good in the movie. You're so she, unbelievably She wrong. is... God, she, she works so rarely for me. She's You gotta be very careful with how you use Natalie Portman, because... Honestly, if she's not cast pitch perfectly, she's boring as shit. She's not a charismatic lead, if you can even call her that in this. She's not a charismatic anything or interesting. Once again, like Asteroid City, though, I present to you this theory. If you think Natalie Portman is a bad actor, here is a movie where she's playing a bad actor. (laughs) But she's not. She's supposed to also be a real person. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm not seeing a real person in Natalie Portman. Right. I, I see a sociopath. I see an absolute psycho. I see a psycho that has channeled her psychopathy into acting. But, you know, even sociopaths have some charisma, for God's sakes, and they're supposed to. Right. <laughs> and I'm just like, this, like, what are you doing, Natalie? I kept saying that, like, what are you doing in this movie? Go away. The score out of this fucking world, Marcel Zarvos. Of- the score is interesting as hell, yeah. Yes. I mean, I, the moment of we're all out of hot dogs has become like a meme now. But just this, like, very unsettling, comedic... The tones are all over the place, and I adore that. I adore that shit. Well, it's a tonal mess, and I mean, very very clearly to the point. I I get that. There were times where it was sort of like testing my patience, I will say. I get it. Similar thing with Tar, which I think is testing your patience with tone, but that movie works very, very well. Mm -hmm. Again, it hits a balance, and it's a tough balance to hit. Exact same sensation I got watching both of those movies, the exact same thing. It's one of those things where if you get one thing wrong, everyone's jumping off your boat. I was on it for a while, but at a certain point, I'm like, no, I can't do this anymore. I'm not buying it. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't buy buy the setup. Didn't buy the setup, so I didn't buy the punchline, (laughs) goddammit. I think what we got here is a classic case of agree to disagree. Sure, sure. Your number two, sir. Killers of the Flower Moon. My number two double feature. It's not dark yet, but it's getting there. Reflections on a Titanic career. Mm. Boy in the Heron and Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah. All right. All right. We're there. Hit me. Yeah. I mean, Killers of the Flower Moon is just a, it's a masterpiece. It's a, it's an amazing movie and probably is the best movie of the year, to be honest with you. This is our favorite list. These are not the best. Yes, yes. These are our favorites. You're asking me what is the objective best movie of the year. This is it. Yes. This just felt like an important occasion for a filmmaker just trying his damnedest to tell a story and getting it out there. And beyond like the meta thing, like taking you out of the movie and sitting next to the filmmaker, just the power of this 
story and the disturbing matter of fact nature of it. It was reminding me of like the act of killing. Great comparison. One of the tougher theater experiences I've had. I love this era of Scorsese because this is kind of part of a series of movies that he's been making the past couple of years. So, Yes. Well, I think post-Wolf. Yeah, there's a reflective nature to a lot of these he's movies. He's like, I'm going to be dead soon, so I better say everything I have to say. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he's getting his come and sees out, which is what this really, you know, that right. like I, I, I want to get to the point where I've said everything I've wanted to say, and this is part of that. It just feels like a truly monumental, important movie, which I, you know, I never like saying that, but it does kind of feel that way. Yes, come and see is a great comp. Yeah, because that's a final movie, right? Yeah, it is. This is not Clint Eastwood making the Mule. No, this is not like. Good job, Clint. You got out of bed today. And no. you, you filmed the scene by lunch and you stayed standing the entire time. You didn't fall. You can see Scorsese like directing till he's literally dead. This is Kurosawa <laughs> making Ron. Yeah. Like yeah. that's what this is. This oh. is a filmmaker still at the top of his craft, but not in the same way that he was in his 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, when yep. he was also at the top yes. of his craft. That Scorsese could never have made this movie. Exactly but, right. But he needs those movies to ultimately get to this kind of understanding that he finds here. Yeah, I mean, this is a movie about his movies. I mean, the ending oh, of this sure. movie is literally about his complicity in you know making stories about bad people. Yep, yep. And listen, I've never bought the argument that Scorsese's films were in any way like endorsements of like crime. Like, I don't think like Goodfellas, although it's... Sexy. I don't think like anyone walks away from that movie being like, I think I want to join the mafia. No, no, but he he is someone that is always trying to square the relationship between the sacred and the profane. Yes, and how those two can live in unison and right. sometimes be the same people. Right, and then like something like Last Temptation of Christ. Sure, and there's an element of that here, like doing the right thing while also doing the worst thing. And mm -hmm. can you even be viewed as a good person? And are some people just too far gone? And so you know, the end of this movie, he reckons with, and I think. If you're listening to this podcast, I think you've seen the movie by now. I'd hope so. But when he appears on screen and breaks the fourth wall, essentially, her name was never mentioned in any of the stories about this afterwards. It's like, yeah, all the people that Henry Hill killed. Or was involved with killing. That was not yeah. Billy Bats or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. You never heard their names either. No. Not to say, that, again, that those movies aren't clear-eyed morally. Like, I'm not saying, like, those are immoral oh, they, films or whatever. They certainly are, yeah. He's just thinking to himself in his old age, why have I told stories this way? And is there a better way to do it? Mm -hmm. Again, you never see this with like an 80-year-old filmmaker. Well, he's, he's saying, I can do better. That's a weird, yes! that's a crazy thought. You're Martin Scorsese! It's like, you don't need to prove anything. If anybody is going to have an ego Ex about this, it's you. Exactly. If anybody can say, I know how to fucking make a movie, it's you. Here's the thing. It's strange for a director at any age to do that, let alone... Totally. Because directors are complete assholes amen full, full of shit egotistical pricks right. who think they're changing the world with their movies at any given turn totally and scorsese's like no right <laughs> no no maybe i'm making it worse right <laughs> yes maybe i'm making it worse how can i grow in my 80s how can i grow and i see that quote that he gave to gq you know about how like i'm just learning what film can do just learning what film can be kurosawa said a similar thing and i don't have time yeah i'm running out of time and it's like the saddest thing in the world, obviously, to hear, but it's also like the most inspirational thing that I've ever heard a filmmaker ever say. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, what a gift this guy is. Like, yes. what a yes. Like, I mean, the man could have just made <laughs> yeah. Goodfellas no, and gone and, away. And, that's it. Yeah. and I would have been like, you're the best. Yes. Like, you're literally my idol. I worship you. Yes. 
but he's into his 80s still finding ways to change his style and to, you know, still be Scorsese, still making a Scorsese movie. Oh, yeah, definitely. Still making a crime drama or whatever. Oh, definitely. No, there is a lot of classic Scorsese in this. Yeah. Absolutely. I see the lineage from Mean Streets all the way over to this. And I see it all the way in between, too. I see Casino in this. Mm -hmm. I see Kundin in this. Yeah. You know, I, you know with the owl and yeah, all yeah. those, like, dream sequences. The Robbie Robertson score, how it is implemented, particularly that scene where... Leo drugs Lily Gladstone. Ooh, chilling stuff. And it's like this Terrence Malicky like descent into hell. Yeah, I described it as a hellish Van Gogh painting. Totally. With the flames and the heat waves and oof. It's unbelievable stylistic flourishes. But then you think about like all the changes he made to this book. I mean, the book is literally subtitled. It's Killers of the Flower Moon, The Birth of the FBI. Yeah. It's about the Jesse Plemons character. Leo was supposed to play the Jesse Plemons character. It was supposed to be a Western noir in the style of like Shutter Island or something. <laughs> so, so you're telling me he pulls like a Rosencrantz and Gilgenstern are dead? Yeah. <laughs> he takes the ultimate kind perspective. Of. <laughs> it, he was signed up to do it. And I think it was Leo that actually brought it to Marty's attention. He's like, yeah, this is good, but like something's missing here. Can we rework this? And he completely flipped it on its head. That's and so Jesse Plemons is barely in it. He's yeah. in it for like the last hour. And you can see the Shutter Island version of this movie. And that's good. It's okay. I don't mind a Shutter Island version of this. I'm sure it would have been just fine. In but. fact, there were times during the movie, I'm not going to lie, sitting in the theater, wishing that it was Shutter Island. To a degree. There were times where I'm like, could you give me a little mystery? Could you hide the uh, ball on me a little bit? Yeah, but you've seen that movie before. But I have. Exactly. <laughs> and so when the movie's done, and I'm now sitting with it for a week... Feeling terrible about humanity. Yeah, feel, um, weirdly about myself. And none of what happened in this movie is my fault. But for some reason, right. I'm still deeply affected uh, by it just as a person. Like, oh, God, what have we done? When I'm sitting there afterwards, yeah, I'm just like, this is, of course, the right choice. It's the only choice. It's the only choice it's, to make. Bottom line is just a better telling of the story. Yeah, and it feels big for that reason. It feels monumental. Yes, doesn't feel like just another genre exercise. Yeah, he made a decision. He made yeah. a profound decision that he knew was the right decision. <laughs> a decision, by the way, that no other filmmaker is ever going to get the opportunity to make with no. $200 million. No, no, that's the thing. It's, it's never happening again. This movie is... So enjoy it while it lasts, because no one's giving anyone money to do this. It really was kind of a privilege being able to see something like this. It is. Because I won't see anything like no, this. No, sit there and yeah. savor it and enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, right. yeah. Because, like, we might only have, like, one or two Scorsese movies left. It doesn't beat out for me one other movie that came out a couple a years. A late period. Late period, right. yes. There's actually, they're, funny enough, there is a late period Scorsese that I think is just, like, point one, point two, just that much higher. Uh, really quickly. Leo. Yeah. Amazing. Well, not according to Paul Schrader. Mm, come the fuck off it. <laughs> Paul Schrader's like, what's he doing in this role? He's got to be playing the fucking Jesse Plemons role, which is so weird. Yeah, he's like, why don't you just make it conventional? It's yeah. like, you're Paul Schrader. What are you talking about? You made Mishima, you yeah, fucker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what's the matter with you? <laughs> Paul Schrader just wants the equalizer, apparently. Like, just, like, yeah. <laughs> just make a dad movie for FX. Wants it to start with the house blowing up, basically. Right. Amazing. Yes, amazing. A contradiction of a character, too. A character that, like, love and control is often one and the same. This is a character that you could have painted as so one-note evil. Like, in so yeah. many other movies, he's just the comically stupid henchman character. But he's treated, I would say, fairly yes. <laughs> for the most part. Yes. There is, like, a certain sweetness that the movie 
handles him with, even though he's a piece of shit. He is a piece. Yes, I suppose he's a piece of shit. But he can be that and still... And still feel love, And right? still feel love. And that is a dichotomy that Scorsese has always butted heads with himself over. Like, Because right. he's like, no, this is a real thing, but that doesn't make sense to me. How can that be? Yeah. And that's what his movies are constantly exploring. Yeah. And it, even if he doesn't completely answer the puzzle he always feels like in in all of his movies he's adding another piece and this right. is another one that he's done and i love that lily gladstone gonna win the oscar she's ama- it's amazing which obviously right? amazing yeah correct but uh, low-key one of the great late period de niro performances in this too very good he's yeah. amazing as yeah. the embodiment of satan he's the he's devil like he's literally horrible. the devil yeah like angel heart he's playing the devil again an ugly soul this guy yeah. just just blackness, blackness yep. behind those eyes. Yep. Terrifying. But again, just like your, yeah, he's your uncle. He's your dad. He gets pissed off at you a lot, but he's, you know, just trying to comb things over. Gotta while, get those head rights. Yeah. Got, 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 when he is, uh, what is he, when he's like praying and singing, or what, what was he doing? Was that like a funeral for one of them? Right. I think he did a prayer for right. someone that he had killed. Correct. His best friend. Remember his uh, his best friend, the drunk? He's like, I'm keeping him alive because I got those head rights. There's a bit of me that f- makes me think that he is sincere in the prayer. Right. Which is a really disturbing thought. Like, yeah. well, I had to kill him, but I'll pray. Like, what the and fuck? And listen, is- I'll tell you what. People are going to struggle with that. No, it's a movie that's tough and doesn't give any easy answers. And it's a movie that's asking a lot from the audience. For right. Sure. If it's uh, like they should struggle with it. Yes, yeah, that's that. They should have a hard time, right? The like, story's a struggle. The it's whole a thing hard is, yeah. time reconciling yeah. how these two things can exist in one person. But they did. They. <laughs> the truth is that they did, and he's the only person at this scale brave enough. Uh, there's that word brave. I know, but it's true. Brave enough to like ask these kinds of questions on this scale, and never gonna be another one like him. Really, is it? No. Thank you, thank you, Marty. Marty, love you. So punching the clock. Yeah. Uh, Boy in the Heron, great movie. I loved it. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, think I said enough, right? Yeah, yeah. I had to also stress because I, you know, I, I'm sorry that Boy in the Heron was as low as it is. It's very good. It's very good, and it it really should be a number two on on many people's lists. I feel bad that it's not on yeah. mine. I, I'll just say quickly, The Killers of Flower Moon, another movie reflecting on your legacy. Oh, that yeah. that tower at the end of like once I go because I a lot of people have read this as an allegory about his son taking over Studio Ghibli after his passing, after Miyazaki's passing. El Goro. Yes, and how he is maybe not up for the task. I have this tower of all these different shapes and stuff, right? And why would you build a tower with a square and a triangle and an orb? Why would you do that? And it's like that's kind of that's filmmaking. That's this empire that he's built for himself. Yeah. And you, know, you take one piece away and it all comes tumbling down, but maybe it should come tumbling down. And it's this meditation on like the afterlife, and it's okay to just let go. Let go, yeah. Again, it just it it absolutely gets to me in the way that Miyazaki is so good at doing, just like tapping that nerve in my spinal cord. Smart, no, beautiful, smart, poetic movie. Yeah, that point about the towers too. It's like that's not life is not made up of simple structures. It right. is this structure that doesn't make any sense. That, like you said, one one thing is pulled apart, it all comes tumbling down. But yep. you don't make a perfect structure without the quote unquote imperfections. Okay, number one movies of the year. Mm. Number one for you, sir. Godzilla minus one. <laughs>
holy shit. <laughs> a Godzilla movie is my number one movie of the year. Shocker. Actually, it is a shocker. This has never happened before. Okay, wow. Okay. <laughs> this, this is the, the real, like, here's the thing. I love Godzilla. It's well known how much I love Godzilla. You love that big guy. I do. How, how could I not? But yeah. even 1954, it's not my favorite movie of that year. Seven Samurai is my favorite movie of that okay, year. Fair enough. There's lots of, maybe even a couple others. It has some of my favorite movies, the original Gojira and Shin Godzilla most notably. Yep. But even Shin Godzilla, is, I don't think it's my favorite movie of 2016. Maybe it's close. It's close. But I not. love that movie. Yes, and so I'm do not, I. I think... I don't know if I like it more. I don't know if I like it more. That one just felt like such a different, fresh it is, it take. Is. You know what I mean? It's never happened. I've never had a Godzilla film that I think was the movie that I thought about the most. Uh-huh. That I was in awe of the most. Like, genuinely in awe by a lot of this movie's choices and what it chose to be as a blockbuster, as just a fucking movie. I think it's like a perfect movie. In the same way, I have one note, and it's the same note that I'm sure everyone else has about this movie. But in the, it's in the same way that like a Paddington is like a perfect movie, not necessarily yeah. like the great movie of oh, all time. It's just one flaw. It's just one glaring flaw. What is it? It's the ending. Oh no! I completely disagree. The ending. I love that ending. It's one too many. It's just it's one too many twists. The schmaltz. Her surviving. She doesn't. How do you know she survives? I don't know what you mean by that. Well, there's there's an implication that she's not going to be okay. Uh, she's alive. They're reunited. No. Oh well, she's, if that's your reading of it, she, I guess then she's she's. Maybe, I understand why you would no, have a problem she's, with she's it. No, she's very but. likely and probably not going to be okay. It's very heavily implied that she's uh, oh. sickened with uh, radiation poisoning. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> well, all right. It's heavily implied that she's. That I just don't think. Okay, it's all a, right. Fine. Which, by the way, even if that wasn't the case, I don't mind that given what the character's been through. It's one of those perfect examples, like, normally it might bother me, but it does leave you with that feeling, like, even after you've come to a place of calm, there's still that chance that evil comes back regardless. That you're never completely safe and you're never completely without your scars. Okay, let's be clear. I don't mind, I obviously don't mind them implying that Godzilla's coming back. I mean, Did you see the black... Thing okay, what, yes. What's the implication? That, that's, that's, that's like a visual callback to like radiation sickness. But, I mean, we don't know exactly what it means. Right. It could be the black goo from Prometheus from all we know. Right. Yeah, I hope it is. No, I, I actually don't hope it is. But <laughs> could be that Spider-Man's about to dye his hair black. But that is not a completely happy ending. Okay. <laughs> all right. To me, it just kind of felt like the character needed a win, so they gave him a win. Is there anything wrong with that, <laughs> given, uh, given what happened to yeah, the character? fucking no. no. I mean, push him. No, I guess that- Push him? No, yes. <laughs> no, listen. Listen. No, truly. No, that was my thing this year, and I that was a common theme throughout all of my entire list. It's like, holdovers was great, but like, did we really need that schmaltzy of an ending? You're like, I preferred the movies where the characters were punished. Rightfully or wrongfully, oh my they God. were punished. He chose life. Yes, he, he beat did. Godzilla, mm-hmm. and now he has this daughter, and that should be enough. The yeah. idea that now he needs to be rewarded for making the right choice, the right choice itself should be enough. I guess that was the thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with that type of storytelling. Because I was that. sobbing when he injected himself from the plane. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. Like, I'm in. It's like, in. No, but the movie did it. That's my point. Like, they fucking did it. That, that's true, but I'm actually even sobbing harder when he's reunited with I don't Kiyoki. need. I, Oh, I don't need to, though. I don't need that. I Like, I'm already there with you. I don't, you I, got me there, and it's like, now you're just... 
It's fine, but Nico, it works. Yeah. It works. It really I, works. Uh, the sequence is genuinely I'm powerful. I'm just like, I'm being manipulated. That was my thought. My thought in the theater was I was in it, and then now you're trying this it's okay. it's Hollywood not, ending on It me. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter with this kind of movie. It's okay for the movie to manipulate you in the same way that a Top Gun might manipulate you. Yes. Very manipulative movie, in my opinion, but that's a great film. Yes, totally. Yes. Yeah, yeah. This is doing the same thing. Yeah. If it was just a perfectly beautiful Bowie ending, the execution is just, I, just no notes. Yeah. I'm okay with the no, movie I, being I, again, as, I'm with you. It's as, just like, as tight like, as that. It's, it's just fine, like when you use the word perfect. It is perfect. I think it's, it's just, perfect. it's this thing in the back of my head. I'm never going to be able to shake that. It's just this one, and it's the final note of the movie, and that's what kind of bothers me about it. I, it listen, it's still in my top ten. I, oh, I great, loved but, it. I really loved it. And I put it as one of the great blockbusters for the same reason that you just mentioned with Top Gun. Yeah. It doesn't reinvent the wheel. It just keeps the wheel spinning. You know, it just it greases the axles, right? Yep. It, yep. It's in this long tradition of great, smart, insightful, yep, so, mm-hmm. emotional, big screen entertainment. Genuinely so. Nothing phony totally. about it. I don't know. I see a lot of movies maybe attempt it with too many characters, and this movie just keeps its focus tightly on this guy and his struggle. Yep. Yeah, dude, I'm sorry. That ending works for me because he's earned all that stuff. He's been through too no, much. No, there's no such thing as earned, though, in, in life. I mean, there's no... Doesn't, justice doesn't exist. It's like... But it can. I also don't like that it kind of cheapens the moment. Like, her death scene is such a powerful moment, too. Yeah, but it doesn't... And ta- just, it like, doesn't how ta- it happens so quickly, it doesn't, it's like... Yeah, but it doesn't take away from how it informs his character and how it progresses him forward. It's like if Ferrari, like, if the car it's, crash happened, it no, is but like, it's, it's che- oh, actually, Ferrari ended up okay. It's like, well, he do, they do imply that he sort of ends up okay in that. Yeah, but... but, but yeah, okay. Yeah. But, no, the, it's cheapened when you zap Chewbacca out of the sky and he comes back in the next scene. <laughs> It's not the same thing, dude. It's a completely different effect. <laughs> Fair. And it's also greater than that, though. It, it's more than just I lost this person that I loved. It's, it's again, seeing the wake and destruction of, of the world around him, yeah. of everything that he loves at the hands of this monster from the war. Is your war over? Yeah, no, yeah. I know. They wanted to call back to the moment. It's cool. It's good. I it's think po- it's too cute. It's poetic, yeah, but... I think, I get it. No, I get it. It's poetic, it's poetic. If the movie was a little worse... Oh, yeah. If what came before it was was a little worse, it wouldn't have bothered me at all. But I was in the presence of just such immaculate craft for an hour and 45 minutes Mm -hmm. of these miniatures. No miniatures. There was no... No, not at all. It's all CG, dude. Jesus Christ. This incredible (laughs) CGI (laughs) for 15 million? Is that the price? Yeah. $50 $50 million, <laughs> better CGI than anything in Ant-Man Quantumania. I'll oh my God, it's not even close. And that was like 300 mil. One of the best looking Godzillas I've ever seen. <laughs> the blue scales and the- The way it pops up. Oh my God, it's just like so tactile. And the atomic breath sequence itself is the most jaw-dropping sequence yeah. I've seen. That is just pure cinematic bliss for me. Yeah. The way it just musically crescendos into when he actually does the thing, to when it's revealed to what he's capable of. Yeah. Frightening as hell. And then you just get this heartbreaking, gut-wrenching moment of this guy just like, it's anger and it's rage. You as the audience feel right alongside him just screaming at this thing. So like the way it cues in the roar to when he starts walking away and then the main character's final like complete and utter ire over this thing. And then the black rain sequence. Yeah, the they way, include black rain the in the way, movie. Oh my God, the way that accents the ending, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll call it back to nuclear horror. Yep. 
it's kind of about nuclear anxiety, but not only about that. Like the movie is very much about like post-war trauma, which yes. is so interesting to me. Taking a perspective on the war, and listen, I love this era in history. Mm-hmm. It's very rare that I think about the Japanese perspective of post-war guilt. And by, by the way, in both directions, not just guilt over their war crimes or whatever, mm-hmm. but also like guilt over not fulfilling their duty not in the yes case of this character <laughs> the duality of that of, yeah you know the strange strange conflict that these guys must have been facing of like what does a kamikaze pilot do, do when he doesn't kill himself right and and also is tasked with committing kamikaze at the end of the war it's, when he knows that the war is over it's so interesting yeah it is yeah, yeah. yeah. it's I, I mean it's just a really incredible point of view character for a Godzilla movie. It's perfect. It's just a perfect idea. That's the one thing I had to comment on. It's like you just picked, I couldn't have picked a better idea for this type of movie. That's yeah, great. Totally. That is great. But also the notion that like the characters, that like his Japanese brethren, his comrades that are all about like in the war saying, you know, you got to kill yourself in order to fulfill an honorable death in battle. And by the end of it, they're begging for him not to take his life. Yeah. I love that. Returning to normalcy almost. Return, yes, to right? norm, returning to humanity through their struggle over this common enemy here right. it was a strangely beautiful just profound movie I, I was it really 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 caught me off guard that it was actually gonna do that well uh, the, the kind of Godzilla movie also that you get after making 50 Godzilla movies I, well yeah <laughs> where it's finally like you know this was cool when he fought Mothra and shit but also like what does this mean like what does this all really mean because that's where this franchise begins right? yeah, yeah. This franchise begins in what was the nuclear bomb and now we're finally at well what does our reaction to the nuclear bomb look like? Yeah, sure, sure. You know? Yeah, I loved it. The, the reason I put it above Shin is like, yeah, the storytelling's never been this good. Yeah, it, it's never had this kind of heart and soul. Yeah, no, totally. Again, that that one is more of like a pure remake to me, even more so than this one is of the nineteen fifty four movie, mm-hmm. just because this one is taking a, a radically, not a radically different take, but a different perspective that I think is actually wholly not just new for Godzilla, but new for. This type of historical drama in general. Yeah. I've never seen this. Well, certainly an American that's available to American audiences. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Totally. And it was so shocking to me that this kind of became like the, like the, I guess you could say more traditional blockbuster of 2023. People saw this movie. Yeah. That's cool. That's really cool. People saw it. It, It's got subtitles and shit. Yeah. I know. It was not going to get a wider release or a longer release. The only reason it did was pure word of mouth. It yeah. is a movie that's still did a Godzilla movie, but regardless. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But I have recommended this to a lot of people. I'm like, this is a movie that I think everyone would see and actually really get into. Yeah. It has that power. I did not have to drag my buddies to see this. They wanted to see it. Yeah. So that's something. That's really something. And I'm sure it worked. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was not necessarily, I did not have the same experience with. Yeah, no, Anatomy of a Fall or whatever. You know, like, <laughs> no, no, no. Passages was not a similar thing this year. Like it was, yeah, it, it was crazy um, how easy it is to make a movie. And movies like this can make it look effortless. Yes. Uh, all right. Number one double feature for me. Boom, zoom, doom. <laughs> Biopics about inventors, Oppenheimer and Ferrari. Ah, okay, cool. Sharing a spot here at numero uno. When I came to you with those calculations, we thought we might start a chain reaction that would destroy the entire world. Mm, I remember it well. What of it? I believe we did. 
looks like this thing is headed towards a sweep at the Oscars, at least of the big three categories, <laughs> including supporting actor too, with Downey. It feels like the first time in maybe my lifetime that a prohibitive Best Picture winner is also a massive box office player. Oh, yeah. And it's a movie that people generally love and critics love. And it just feels like this is the movie of the year. Whether or not it's your favorite movie of the year, whether or not you think Killers of the Flower Moon is better, whether or not Barbie was watched by more people and made more money or whatever, whether or not you love the Blue Beetle or whatever, this is the movie of 2023, and it feels like that is going to be rewarded as such. Like Even like Parasite. Yeah, a lot true. of people thought that was the best movie of 2019. That wasn't like a major cultural force in the way that Oppenheimer was. I mean, this movie made $400 million at the box office. So it feels like Science of the Lambs or Braveheart or Gladiator or something. Where it's yeah, like, in that sense, true. Yeah, or maybe No Country was like that, but even that wasn't like a big No, I wouldn't think. Yeah, like, yeah. Not, not, not quite to that degree. Like if Avatar won Best Picture in 2009. You're talking about like, like yeah, the Titanics of the world. Titanic, yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. Which is not the best movie in 1997, but... Right, and Avatar isn't either, but... No. Yeah, th this is, it's the boring choice, but it's the choice I'm making. It is the movie that I've revisited since and just been of, in awe of the craftsmanship. In simple dialogue sequences, how the cross-cutting is implemented, the use of sound, the way that the score just overwhelms you. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're in the meeting room. They're talking to, like, the Joint Chiefs or whatever. And, and they're you, still the pounding. Music. And it, it's, like, crazy. It's like this movie doesn't let up for three hours. I just don't know of anybody else that can do this now. No, There's no I, one else that can make this movie. No, I, I and I would actually agree with that. And I'm not as enthusiastic about the way that, specifically, you're talking about the music. Specifically, the way the music is used. I always, yes. I'm not talking, like, because I have actually listened to the soundtrack in the car. It's great. Right. It's actually yes. fantastic. Yeah. It's just, the implementation in the movie frustrates me. Right. But, kind of like showing up, this movie does have that weird effect on me where it's like, you know something? As this is going along and the impressionism you're using here and to make this traditional drama an action thriller essentially yes. in its editing style. Yeah, but yes, but but also but still like Michael Mann does through poetry. Through its po own poetry. Through, the, through yep. his very broad strokes. Yep. Not like just inserting an action sequence. Not adding a car chase to the Tetris movie. You no, know what no, I mean? No. Like, right. And the reason I like is that, like, whereas, like, a lot of other uh, Nolan films might have been a little too intellectual, this one allowed me to feel it. And, yes, right. And that was awesome. Yeah. I like the movie, guy. And, you know, I've had my own hang-ups on it, of course, but yes. I still ultimately like the movie, which is impressive, yeah. considering how much I, ha I I mean, I have a lot of problems with Nolan as a storyteller. Totally. I mean, I don't like what he did in the 2010s at all. Yeah. With the exception I, I of maybe, totally I like Inception enough, but that's yeah. about it. Right. So this was impressive for him to be doing a lot of what he was doing, yeah. frankly. Like, this does feel like the culmination of years and years of practice and consideration. And it is still, like, a lot of the things that frustrate me about Nolan, but... Yeah, right. The poetry here, emphasizing this detail and pulling back on this detail while not losing sight of, like, your very loud voice, something about it was kind of jiving with me here. Yep. I, I understood it this time. Right. And that was the key here. It's like, sure. ah, ah. Yeah. And by the end of it, yeah, it's just got his best ending in eight, eight maybe his best ending. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's yeah, an intense. memento, maybe. Again, nothing new about what he's getting at. Bombs, we're going to kill ourselves because of bombs, like... Whatever. Right. But again, as I always say, it's the way you tell that part of the story that we've right. heard before. Right. And you do feel the weight of the situation. If you don't, yes. there's something wrong with you. Yes. yes. Right. 
Jennifer Lame is the person that I want to point out. Mm-hmm. Nolan is going to win his Oscar, and it's everybody's going to like fawn over him. But like this girl can edit a fucking movie, and as a person that makes money editing video <laughs> at a much lower level and <laughs> with much less talent. I literally don't know how she manages this. It's a lot. I no. I watched just a minute. Take any minute out of the literally any minute out of the movie and analyze what she's doing here between the sound mix and what you're actually seeing. You know, there's that scene in Ferrari. One of the there's a lot that these two movies have in common. Of course, yeah, I know, which is so funny. It's so funny. (laughs) But you know, the scene where they're in the church and the stopwatches, Mm -hmm. and there's the cross cutting with the race. That's all of Oppenheimer. That's the entire movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just one giant cross-cutting. And you say that it feels like a montage sometimes, a three-hour montage. It sometimes Totally does, get yeah. it. What I say to that is, fuck yeah. Um, but so It's not always the most emotionally rewarding, but it's also pure cinema. It is, yeah. yes. Yeah. It's pure cinema, right. And so I will have a lot more to say about it as the weeks go on. But from Ludwig Gorhansen and Hoyta von Hoytema to Jennifer Lame to our boy Nolan and our beautiful little boy Killian Murphy my Irish brethren I'm very happy I mean you know I'm always happy for them always happy for them whenever they get an Oscar <laughs> and I by the way I do think uh, on repeat viewing this is number one Nolan for me Man, uh, numero uno I've seen it twice yeah it's, and it's still good did it grow in your estimation the second time you watched it maybe a little bit yeah yeah you know what did not grow what I stand by I'm not alone I, I discovered I did some reading oh, okay Trinity Test still sucks balls. Fuck off. Sucks balls. Fuck off. I actually did some reading, and I'm like, am I alone on this? No, I'm actually not alone on this. There's a lot of people that are actually like, yeah, it's underwhelming. At Armand White. The buildup is phenomenal, which it is. The actual moment is not convincing at all. (laughs) Even as an impression, it's not convincing. Armand White was like, (laughs) Rebel Moon greater than Killers of the Flower Moon. (laughs) And I just like, you have hit peak trollery, my friend. It's it's like, dude, come on. Well done. What are you even doing? (laughs) It's it's like, all right, (laughs) what am I going to say to that? (laughs) All right, let's run down the official top tens here. Actually, you know what? Let's do this first. Let's talk about our bottom fives. Yeah, I'll do my bottom fives. That's great, yeah. Uh, By the way, I, I always have a hard time at the bottom of the list because there are some movies on there that are not aspiring for much of anything. They're barely movies. Best Christmas ever. Yeah, it's on there. Does yeah. that belong in my bottom five? I, so Te- I'm going to skip over that one. Yeah, technically, but no. I'll, I'll skip over that too. You know, I, River Wild was another one we watched this year. That's that a direct-to-TV movie. I mean, it's like not... It's a Netflix movie though, right? Uh, n- no, I don't... Actually, I don't think so. I, I think they sold it to Netflix, but I think it was a... It was literally made by the Universal direct-to-video wing. I do think that counts though. Okay, that's I mean, fine. I you got to count that. All right, whatever. Go ahead. Read your bottom five. Okay, here we go. 53. This is going to be a surprising one. Skinamarink. You know, I started watching it the other day when I was ailing, and it was during the day. So I couldn't really, like, see it because I have, like, a plasma TV. Okay. And so, like, I'm like, I need to watch this at night, but then I never got around to watching it at night. Not good. Yeah. Very talked about, you know, as like this creepypasta sensation movie. It's a weird movie, though, right? Like, it's like very, it's kind of like Experim- art housey. Experimental that's supposed to get you freaked out by the vibe and right. the aura. There's like one scary scene, though. Right. It's not scary. Okay. Don't let the mood fool you. It's not scary. Yeah, no, that's what it's I not heard scary about at it. All. And why it was so weird that it like made money. Because yeah. it's like they somehow marketed this movie, I guess, to some kind of online audience 
as it's like, oh, come with your friends. You're going to be terrified by it. No. And it's like this oh weird art house experimental it, thing. Jesus Christ, it would piss so many fucking people off. I'm sure it did, Holy which is so shit. weird. But like it became this big word of mouth thing. Minimalism is putting it mildly. Totally. I, right. I mean, it, most of the shots are of nothing. Right. I would go so far as to say, without exaggeration, about 90% of the shots are of nothing. Right. It is very much just like the wall with a little bit of light hitting the corner of the frame most of the time. All your view wow. is obstruction. It's you never really see the kids. It's all their feet. You're looking at... Yeah, no, that was the vibe I got. I imagine that would change, though, and I guess it doesn't. That's no. what I kind of turned off the movie. Listen, I appreciate that people saw the thing. That's kind of interesting. Right. It's so weird that... They but, convince people to see it. And I actually kind of think that's baller. That they, yeah, that, no, I agree. <laughs> that, 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 that is fascinating. Call. No question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But nothing works in the movie. Like, nothing actually works in the movie. It's, wow. it, to me, it was sort of a trick. Interesting. And, and like, it's not a trick if it's, like, 20 minutes long, maybe, if it's a short film. Yeah. It so obviously comes from, like, the creepy pastas on the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 again, this needs to be, like, maybe even five minutes long, and it's a better horror movie. Yeah. But, man, like, like an hour 20, hour 30 of... Basically nothing. I mean, my patience wore thin very, very, very quickly. And if I was scared by it, that would have been a different story. But I was not scared. What else you got there? Uh, sympathy for the devil. We talked about that. Yeah, again. Again, whatever. I almost want to disqualify it. But yeah, go listen. Why is this a thing? Well, you here, here you go, Nico. I'll, I'll, I'll indulge you. We'll disqualify this one. It's Daddy-O <laughs> right below that one. Yeah, again, coming out next year. <laughs> Who gives a fuck when that movie comes out? <laughs> <laughs> it's It'll be streaming on the uh, at a gas pump near you. <laughs> I'm a real Washing up in a bottle on a deserted <laughs> island near you. Daddy-O coming in 2024. I'm Maria Menunos, and uh, here's Daddy-O. <laughs> Pump your gas. Yeah. Below that, yeah, Best Christmas Ever. Below that, River Wild. And below that, all the way at the bottom. Hold, save. Uh, <laughs> my bottom. Okay. Uh, again, I'm going to throw these out. These are not exactly at the bottom, but uh, Leave the World Behind, I found to be not only underwhelming, like actively bad at times. Wow. wow. And I love Sam Esmail, and I love Mr. Robot, and the cast is really interesting. Julia Roberts and Ethan Hawke you, and you, you were Marshall very, Ali. You were very mad at me for judging this movie. <laughs> yeah, you were judged by its cover, and you're like, I'm not going to watch this. I'm like, what are you talking about? This is like a major movie. Sam Esmail rules. And you're 100% right. This movie sucks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, really just like... So showy, <laughs> uh, but ridiculously oh, showy to the point where it becomes fucking boring. Like when showy camera work becomes boring and monotonous, like that ain't good. It's not good. No. Uh, Renfield. Ugh. Oh, poor Renfield. I didn't see it, but piece of shit. Cage. Oh no. Continues to do admirable work in the face of a monstrosity, an wow. absolute disaster. Tire fire of a movie. Wow, wow, wow. It's like a fucking like cop thriller like there's like this thing where aquafina is like a cop and it's it sucks like why is this about like police corruption this is a dracula movie wow uh you know you got the, you got the scream the five or whatever scream that's, six. Oh, that's not that bad i didn't enjoy it it's not that did bad. not like it seems like that franchise is dying on yeah, the vine but, and but rightfully all, so but towards the bottom give of me five more thanksgiving movies that's what i yeah, want yeah, thanksgiving give thanksgiving. me thanksgiving takes manhattan scream six is way too well made to be that low it's fine it's okay. I don't know. I found it, whatever. Uh, River Wild, like you said, uh, listen to why is this a thing? <sighs> Salute me, Familia. Oh, it's over for fast. This is tough. It's over for fast. Really? An absolute fucking mess of a movie. It was that bad, huh? A movie that I imagine was focus grouped and passed from director to director and 
I don't think the morning editor knew what the afternoon editor was doing because it just cuts together like the dullest uh, knife you've ever used to slice up your vegetables. Like wow. it is a mess. Wow, it sounds like it's gotten worse for you. It's the- getting bad. It's getting really bad. And I I will go down with the ship, but start playing the, the song, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure playing with you guys tonight. This wow. ship is going down. Damn, that's sad. This is a sad it's moment so for me. bad. It's hard seeing you like this. <laughs> uh, Super Mario Brothers movie. Yeah, people like that Super Mario Brothers movie, by Fucking the way. Fucking sucks. I don't people know. People love it, it. It blows. I, I, I didn't see it, but... I watched it with my little cousin, who's just like really into Mario, and that's cool. She likes Mario. There's a lot of flashy colors it's an shit. illumination movie yeah it fucking sucks they suck so sucks yeah i mean it's, you see the shells and shit it's like oh yeah mario kart that's from that game and it's like all right great i can just play the games let's just play the games it's fine but you could also watch a movie i could watch the movie <laughs> without a story and just references to the game and chris pratt not doing an italian accent blows <laughs> fucking blows uh and then the worst movie of the year say it with me the, the flash, flash. At all time low in superhero storytelling and maybe in American cinema, a, a, an absolute motherfucker of a movie. Yes, I, I just, I just hated, 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 hated this movie. Yeah, the more I thought about, it, I do have a below Thor: Love and Thunder for me. Oh, it's, it's as, it is worse. Yeah, yeah, it's as bad as movies get. Never mind superhero movies. Offended in the theater while watching this movie, couldn't believe what I was exposing myself to. Also, did a why is this a thing on that one? Yeah. Hear Adam and I just lose our minds for an hour and a half. The fact that half of that was okayed. Yes, that somebody saw that and said, "Good job," eh, or not even "good job," just <laughs> all right, good enough to put into the world. Put it out there. Okay, that's our bottom. Did you go Damn in it. your top twenty? Yes, I went to my top twenty. I'll give you some runners up, by the way, that I didn't mention. I'd like to talk about just a couple. Go ahead, little, shout little a couple runners. out. Like, Megan was number 22. Wow. Really solid movie. Didn't get around to it. Yeah, yeah. Like, like that movie a lot. And like I said, Maestro was at 20. Uh, oh, I never mentioned a still a Michael J. Fox movie. He's really good. Very good. Very good. Very good. Very, very good. Very sad, but yeah. But also quite quite powerful. Oh, listen, I was crying at the end. I don't know if it, like, transit. Like, I have Pigeon Tunnel on my list. That was my representative of, like, documentary filmmaking. Errol Morris is doing Dutch angles, and it's stylized. Yeah, it's, yeah. That, it's a pretty straightforward documentary that's still but yeah i know yeah, it works it does the job yeah surprisingly the creator wasn't bad i didn't see that it's a shoo-in for best visual effects although godzilla should win this one you know what made me think of it's like if elysium and chappie were good word uh that's what the creator give me that if those if elysium and give Cha- me that if elysium and chappie were good well, i don't know what you're talking about with chappie but yeah anyway, give me <laughs> oh, that yeah. oh yeah that's right yeah so that's, if chappie were chappie if is what chappie you're saying. were the best yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> then you would have the creator <laughs> yeah nothing new about this movie but gareth edwards was kind of on his game here Knew how to tell About this time. Knew how to tell this Been story. Been a minute. Hey, I, I, I Gareth Edwards is fine. I like monsters and I like Godzilla, and this is solid. Godzilla's a snooze. Okay, next. You're a snooze. Yeah, I just, <laughs> sure am. I'm, I'm about to snooze four hours into this podcast. I'd also like to comment on, um, yeah, of course, Thanksgiving. Which did we mention it? Talk about? Yes, we we did. We yeah. we talked about it quite a bit. Awesome little movie. Oh, one of the movies that I loved but just couldn't get into my top 10 just because it's like, eh, it doesn't belong there. Um, my number 13 was uh, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Good movie. Loved, oh, loved I, that I, movie. I want to give this movie a hug. I, right outside my list. Fuck it. Was it. right there. I did love this Rachel movie. Rachel McAdams 
rips. Really in that movie. good. Benny Safdie, so re- good. Really good. Yes. Everybody's really, the the girl is fantastic. Yes. Oh my god, just pitch perfect casting in this movie. I loved it. I really did love it. Uh, perfect it, coming of age, like Lady Bird yeah. or something. Just perfect. Uh, another movie I loved that just couldn't quite make it into the top ten was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: <laughs> Mutant Mayhem. Fun, really good. I am in love with the movie. Yeah. Almost was my favorite animated film of the year. I liked it more than Spider-Verse. I think it was you that made the point. That was like, all these Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies, the emphasis is usually on Ninja Turtles. This was the first one in a while, maybe ever, where it felt like the emphasis was on the teenage part. Yes. And these kids were allowed to be kids. Kids, yeah. And that's kind of what I loved about it. It's like, oh yeah, these are like teenagers, and modern teenagers are weird. Yeah, you might not necessarily vibe with the culture of modern teenagers, but right. there's something genuinely authentic. Gotta get the Bev, Riz her up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> bacon, egg, and cheese. Bacon, <laughs> egg, and cheese. You it's know, all in good fun. Yes. Yeah. It's too endearing for me to really get mad at. And you know, I, I don't mind that yeah. stuff. It, it just it can get annoying. Yeah. But uh, to me, it really worked here, and it never got in the way. And I love these kids. Yep. Kicking ass, these these turtle kids. Yep. Awesome. And Jackie Chan's really fun in the movie, too. Really fun. And that, yeah, those are my my mentions, yeah. Uh, it's a two-part movie, so the pacing's really weird, but Tom Cruise flying off a cliff, that's always fun. Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1. Just missed the list. It's in the trailer, damn it. I know, I know, and I wish it wasn't, because it kind of ruins that moment. Because it's sick. Tom Cruise is fucking the best. <laughs> uh, Past Lives, I know you didn't like that movie. And I'll be honest, it fell down the list quite a bit <laughs> since the first time I saw it. Let me tell you, it's, okay, I had a funny story with Past Lives. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going through my list. <laughs> and I'm looking at like, what did I see this year? And I come to, pa- I'm like, what the hell is Past Lives? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like getting a hundred Oscar nominations. I know. It's at every award show. I, and it's like, this movie's fine, but like, yeah. The movie left my brain. And I, 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 I felt the same way. Yes, I, I, I felt the same way. I have said that in the past, and it's been kind of an exaggeration. I legitimately forgot that I saw this movie. I walked out of that movie, <laughs> and I'm like, this is really good. And I, I, now I would struggle to give you the plot. It's it's fine. It's yeah, good. Yeah, it's yeah. good. It's a yeah. nice little indie. I would agree, Best Picture nominee is insane. Yeah. It's an insane thing to do. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but it's going to get one. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse I have here. That's also like a part one movie. Very good movie. It's it's not... Well, where did I put it? Hold on, hold on. Uh, 28. Okay. Not not bad. Not bad. Pretty good. The animation remains immaculate. I mean... Oh, the, yeah, of course. I saw it in the theater. It's like, this is just a feast for the eyes. Mm-hmm. Is it a feast for everything else? I'm not so sure. More of the same for me. Yes, more of the same. Yeah. I, I prefer the first good. one. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. Obviously. It's Apparently good. it's not obvious to some people. Yeah, a lot of people are crazy about it, which I get it. I, you know, People love this style, the voice. They love the animation. Yeah, I did missing something. It didn't have that same it quality for me that the first one did. So Yeah. Uh, Maestro on American Fiction talked about. Are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Cool indie thriller about process. You know, obviously, uh, a lot of like political stuff because it's you know about environmentalism. That's what these people are doing. They are attempting to blow up a pipeline because it has negatively impacted their lives. Uh, and they participate in an act of eco-terrorism, essentially. You know, not super moving to me on like a political level, but as a taut thriller, really works. And it's like a heist movie where you're not trying to steal something, you're trying to destroy something. And uh, loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Rye Lane, one of my favorite rom-coms of the year. Perhaps my favorite rom-com of the year. British picture. Very before sunrisey in the way that like these two characters are just walking and talking and getting into shenanigans, but a lot more stylized in like a Danny Boyle kind of British way. 
Dug it. Loved it. Ryan Lane. The Five Devils, French movie, French fantasy. Mm. Nolan E, actually, in the way that it bends time cool. and it structures itself. Kind of like Interstellar, except it's not as like twisty. All of it feels very inevitable. You kind of see where it's going the entire time. But I really enjoyed the gimmick, and it's a really lovely uh, love story and a coming-of-age story. The Five Devils. I think it's on movie. Uh, theater camp. Good comedy. Really funny. All right. Funny movie about going to theater camp. I never went to theater camp. I can't relate to these kids at all. Oh, no. I'm going to shove them in lockers. They were dweebs. But this made me want to go to theater camp because it seems really fun. Yeah. Funny movie. Uh, scrapper, a little uh, British dramedy about a, a young girl who uh, meets up with her estranged father, and she's a real uh, straight talker, adorable kid, love the kid. And then finally... This little indie movie, it's a sci-fi movie called The Artifice Girl. Have you heard of The Artifice Girl? I have heard of it. I almost watched it. It is a micro-budget. Less than 50,000, I think. Maybe 100,000 at the most. Makes the most of its subject matter. Uh, An AI movie? An AI movie. It's basically a three-act play. There's one scene that lasts for a half hour, and then they flash back 20 years and they flash back I think another 50 years at the end Mm -hmm. and it's about this girl that starts as an AI and becomes like a robot like a physical robot and it it was just super impressive kind of like the vast of night a couple years ago where I'm just like this dude has chops yeah and there's going to be great things in the future how he's able to utilize the budget for lofty ambitions and big ideas awesome cool 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 yeah I wanted to mention one more movie go ahead my favorite pure like actual horror movie that's not like popcorn like like Thanksgiving is a little movie called Cobweb with the kid from Come On, Come On. Word. And he's good in that. Uh, very good. Yeah. Yeah. He's very good in this. Uh-huh. Also, um, your girl, uh, Lizzie Kaplan. Lizzie Kaplan. Lizzie That's Kaplan. right. My girl. And she is re- her performance. I'm watching. I'm like, is this a bad performance? And then as the movie continues, I'm like, oh, oh, they're doing this. Ah, it's one of those like, what is she doing in this? And in the movie as it unspools, no pun intended, if you see the movie, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it becomes a little more obvious as to like what kind of person she is. Anthony Starr from The Boys, who plays Homelander, mm-hmm. also very good in this. Again, very deliberate casting to kind of throw you off. It's got a fucking great twist that that is horrifying. <laughs> One of the more legitimately scary movies. It's not going to blow you away, but... It's just a really good Halloween movie. Takes advantage of that setting, taking advantage of that idea of like that house yeah. at the end of the street. Don't go in there. Yeah. You never know what you'll find in the walls. Well, the movie like talks about that idea uh-huh. and plays with it and makes a whole movie kind of around what's hiding in our walls. Uh, the kid Nate, by the way, is Woody Norman. Yes. Yeah, who's our lead in this, and he's very Come on, good. come on is like one of the great child performances of the last like 20 years. Yes. I love him in that. Uh, Luke Busey. Another Busey. There's another Busey? Yeah. His Luke. name is Luke? Can't mistake him. Oh, my God. He's one of them. <laughs> one of them. <laughs> they let them keep multiplying, huh? I guess so. They didn't cut that gene pool off when they had the chance? Son of Gary Busey? What the fuck? This kid's <laughs> like two years old. <laughs> I mean, hey, Gary still gets at it. I guess so. Uh, geez, Louise. Big Wednesday has been putting in some serious hours lately. No shit. I'm, I'm watching this. I'm like, that is a fucking Busey. And then I looked him up. I'm like, yep. <laughs> a really, really taut, really well-made movie, too, I must add. Feels like 
like some of the the Netflix movies that Mike Flanagan does. Yep. It's just really solid filmmaking across the board. Uh, top 10, one more time. 10 to 1, sir. Uh, 11, yes, here we go. Oppenheimer, 10, Boy and the Heron, 9, The Killer, 8, Wonka, 7, American Fiction. Wonka's better than Oppenheimer. I liked it more than Oppenheimer. fucking high. A lot more. <laughs> go ahead. 6, The Holdovers, 5, A Normal Family, 4, A Thousand... I don't know what that movie is. It hasn't come out yet. Oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> when I look it up, it says 2023. <laughs> and when I look you up, you <laughs> appear on a registry. So I don't know oh, if that no. means anything. Oh, God. Go ahead. Uh, four, thousand and one. That's a great fucking movie. Yes, it's a great that movie. That movie fucking rips. Yes, it should be here. It should be Oh, here. why aren't there more movies like it's that? Amazing, that movie's so good. Amazing movie. Amazing film. Three is Ferrari. Two is Killers of the Flower Moon. And one is Godzilla minus one. Uh, I haven't given this out officially because I did this weird format. Ten, Godzilla minus one. Nine, The Holdovers. Eight, Ferrari. Ferrari. Seven, The Boy and the Heron. Six, Blackberry. Five, The Iron Claw. Four, Fremont. I feel like I didn't sing the praises of this movie enough because it's a really tiny indie and I barely anyone has seen it. It's delightful. It's so good. Uh, May, December, number three, Killers of the Flower Moon. Number two, Oppenheimer. My number one film of the year. You think I would be like an Academy voter or something? You got what a normie pick. You got to stop giving the boring number ones. What a boring ass number one. Last year you did the Fablemans, and then before that it it was it was it was Nomad Land and all that. Jesus, Nomad was that my number one? Yes, it was. It was? Yes. You're like- I, I thought it, Mank was my number one. No, you're like, what happened was, we, Mank was your number one, and then we we uh, did our update. We were doing this. Right. And then you're like, yeah, so it is my number one, Nomadland. And I'm like, really? That's shameful that I picked Nomadland as my number one. I No, Mank is definitely a better movie than Nomadland. Yes, it is. Of course it is. <laughs> Minari is a better movie than Nomadland. I would agree. Yeah, that ain't right. I apologize. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, paint outside the box. Listen, God doesn't damn it. doesn't uh, bode well for my number one pick this year. Then, if Jesus if history is a guide, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yeah. I mean, listen, that's always the challenge when you're making these lists. Is because uh, you I've read hundreds of these this year of the top tens in the last week. And it's all the same 25 movies. So that's why I wanted to expand a little bit and get some more in there. Because the top of the list is always less interesting than the bottom sure, of the sure. list. Honestly, I did not expect Godzilla to be in my number one. I thought it would probably be in my top ten based on the way people were talking about it. Yes. But a Godzilla film has never been my number one favorite movie of the year, as much as I love that series. Yeah. So th- this was genuinely surprising. I yeah. was in awe by the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm happy that uh, we gave the listeners a nice short podcast for their commute. Oh, yeah. You know, Adam just snuck a peek at the clock, <laughs> the giant old clock on our mixer there that shows us our recording time. That is not counting down. That is counting up, my friend. <laughs> um, <Well>. So, you know, I... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I hope we got you through your mile run at the gym. Uh, you know, If you listen to this at 30 times speed, maybe... And yeah, I mean, brevity is the soul of wit, as always. Yeah, and of course. I don't know what that makes us then, but it's, it's a perfect podcast. Nico. There's nothing wrong. With it. It's a perfect podcast. If only like Abby came back at the end after we thought she died, <laughs> then it would really be a perfect. podcast. Oh yeah, that's right. She had like a scar on her neck, and 
Is your podcast over? Oh, I think now it's finally over. It's yes. finally over. Uh, <laughs> all right. That's it. 2023. We put it away. Out of sight, out of mind. Yes. And then we turn the page. 2024. It's here. It's yeah. going to be the best year yet. That's what I say. Maybe, yeah. We got some good ones coming out. Yeah. We got some good ones. Yeah, there's one particular movie about sand that I know you are uh, curious about, right? Furiosa? Oh, God, a couple movies about sand. <laughs> going to be the driest year yet. <laughs> going to be the driest year yet. All right. We love you so very, very yes. much. <laughs> uh, thank you for supporting us through 2023. Happy movie hopping. Oh, yeah. Happy movie hopping.